know the history, Missy. People in Kansas know the history. That's why it's a good show. It's a big show, and we get to talk about it. We're not going to hate watch a show that everyone else hates the guts of, and we're going to do it. Why? Because we're committed to quality. It's a tacit admission of guilt and a silent act of contrition, and that's what's required here. Hello. Uh, welcome to Not a Hate Watch. We are the the promised day has finally come. We are talking about the first half, the first uh, eleven episodes of Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, the failed two thousand six uh, comedy drama by Aaron Sorkin about a legendary sketch comedy show. Um, yeah, I, I'm Alice, and I'm I'm joined as always by my co-host Missy. Information here. Uh, you know, I have to tell you that. I failed my my drug test, and so we're not going to be able to get podcast insurance for two years. So I'm going to have to help you discuss Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, you know, in the meanwhile, until we can get that cleared. I I don't want someone else. I want you. I want you to want me. If that song had played, that would have been, like, epic. So this show blew my mind because everyone has been couching this since yeah. since it was ever mentioned you catch yeah. this like everyone's uh-huh. expectations are what it is there's people who ironically are into the show because there's like yeah. there's two sides there's people who hate watch it because they think it's one of the stupidest arrogant yes. like like self grandulizing bullshit yes. narcissist so, yeah. yeah it's very sorkin and yes. other people who think it's ironic because they just find the plot and everything comedic and funny because it is so over the top and outlandish. Yes, it's, it's so serious and, and, and yes. life and death for a, a, a comedy show. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like comedy is the most important thing in these people's lives. And I would yes. argue a lot of people in industries and things like that take this stuff that seriously. So I don't think it's that far off from reality. Yeah, I, I think, think that that's one, a that little one, bit that why one, people got upset. That one cut a little too close to home, I think, for some people. Yes, but, that is. Uh, I absolutely believe that is part of the case. Yeah. So, so widely hated, widely derided, um, widely uh, derided by critics and fans and and comedy people. Um, yeah, it 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 aired in two thousand six, which was also the uh, year that Thirty Rock started, and that was the big news peg. Was um, two shows about SNL like sh- like shows. Oh, Studio Sixty, it's it's twice the show Thirty Rock is. Um, Thirty Rock, it, it's 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 a comedy, but Studio Sixty is a drama. Um, and yeah, and then um, to give some, to give a little more background, Studio Sixty, uh, it was originally written as Studio Seven on the Sunset Strip was was being passed around as a really, really buzzy pilot in, um, in Hollywood. Um, a lot of different, a lot of different studios tried to, tried to, tried to buy it off of, of Sorkin, um, eventually ended up going to Universal, um, NBC, who had also produced The West Wing, um, and and and, and it, I remember at the time I forget what the budget was, but I remember at the time it was the most expensive pilot that had ever been made. Um, they essentially built out a lot of the set that you see that the, the studio set that we see in the show um, for this for this, and they had you know big name stars. They got um, um, Matthew Perry in his first real sort of his he, he had he had a show prior to this I think called Mr. Sunshine but this was this was seen as like oh Matthew Perry seriously returning to TV you've got uh, Bradley Whitford coming off the West Wing you've got Amanda Peet who is really more of a movie star at this point um doing this show um and then and then you've got um 
Steven Weber, who's a TV classic. You've got Ed Asner doing guest spots. It's it's a it's a murderer's row of of of, of a cast. And yeah. and yeah, I was shocked when all of these people came out of the woodworks during the run of it. Where you're just like, oh my god, this person was on the show. Like it, the, you know, the mandatory. Let's get John Goodman in because he was in the West Wing. You know, uh, mm-hmm. double header on there. Like it, it was really interesting. Now, I think we before we dis- I think we do have to tackle. The broad issue at hand with it, the, the two broad issues with it, and I think the one we'll get into first is, it's probably easier to break down, is the construct of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip itself. Sure. And the weirdness of NBC, the makers of SNL, buy a show about a fictional network that is running an SNL-like show, that it is so much like an SNL show, it is not even bailed satire, it is just a copy-paste mimicking of SNL down to guest host, Mm -hmm. musical house, the way the sets run, the way that, you know, the first episode is, it's basically theory crafting if Lauren Michaels just had a uh, Mattis Helm moment from Network, which they call out, both Network Mm -hmm. and Patty Chiefsky. So it's not, he basically in the first episode is telling you, yes, I know the similarities. Let's get that over with by acknowledging it so you can just Mm -hmm. buy in, which I did. Also Um, also Judd Hirsch giving that monologue, Judd Hirsch appearing in this one episode and then not again in the rest of the season of the series. So it was one of the things that, for me, it was odd because NBC and SNL exist in this universe. They met, referenced mm-hmm. Lauren Michaels. I mean, they they would they would have to. The, the, yeah. I think if they if they had done it with 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 SNL not existing, that would have been weirder. But, yeah, no, yes. that's that's not the issue with the part of it. The issue is you can't make your show such a carbon copy of SNL and then also deem it to be the most current, influential. It's like story, like they call it legendary, and it's twenty years old. Well, it's just sort of like yeah. I mean, and I get, like that is a good run for a sketch show. Like I don't want to like knock it because sure. SNL yeah. only would have been thirty years old at that point. I think. Yeah, yeah, or um, around there. Yeah, because seventy five, yeah. and so I do yeah. want to say yeah. I have one theory crafting about this in universe, which is if we are going by the date that this aired, which was late two thousand six and two thousand seven, if we go back twenty years and we know we're in the twentieth season, that would be in September of uh, a- 1986. So this is a universe where the reboot of SNL with the new cast from like the 85-86 shuffle failed spectacularly and let Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip get, you know, in there on it. And so mm-hmm. that has to be the divergent point for this a, a complete carbon copy to be as lauded and respected and taken seriously is that SNL still exists, but it's not the cultural juggernaut that Studio 60 became. And with, with yeah. the, you know, the like the leadership of, of I forget his character's name, Judd Hirsch. Wes, uh, Wes, Wes, Wes Mandel. Wes Mandel. Yes, exactly. Um, don't, don't come at me with character names. I I, I know them all. No, that's um, fine. Uh, okay. I, I, do, I do have a thought, though, which is, I, I, I think that you're falling into the trap that I think a lot of people fall into, which is, in the show, like like when the, when people talk about the show within the show, they, when they talk about series within the show, they do talk about it like that. But I also think they talk about it the same way that you would talk about if SNL was 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 going off the air. We're about to hit the 50th anniversary of SNL. People are going to talk about it as an institution, as 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 like crucial to the conversation of culture, of contributing all these things. And like that is true. That is tr- you know by the book true. But also 
SNL's never been funny. SNL was not funny. Like, maybe you thought SNL was funny when you were a kid, but, but, but you don't think SNL's funny now. Like, and I think there is a lot of that. Like, like they talk about, like, the whole reason Wes has his meltdown is that the show isn't good. He knows the show isn't good, and he, and he, and he pulls this sketch that was written four years ago to try to start a fire. Yeah, so basically, Aaron Sorkin didn't like whatever cast was on SNL at the time he wrote this, and also wanted to get his media critique holistically at the top of the show, so you know sort of where the vision of this piece is going to be going. It's it's the opening I, monologue at I, the beginning of this play that sets yeah. the audience's expectation for what sure. themes we're going to be covering. Yeah. I, w- I will say I don't I don't think that I don't think that Aaron Sorkin was trying to take shots at SNL. That's a, that's another complaint I see a lot. Um I think that it is he's doing it through reverence and you have to like he has to he has to make their show the underdog show because that's the only way he works is if if the if their their show is the scrappy underdog to someone else and like I think I think like he's trying to He's trying to talk about his love of television, his love of sketch comedy on television, and he's doing it through this show. And I think because it's such, it is such a like a cut and paste of SNL, people felt like, oh, this is this is satire. And it's like, I don't think it was satire. I think it was literally him. Like he wanted he he asked Lorne Michaels if he could sit sit behind the scenes at SNL to understand how they were to understand how the show works prior to prior to working on this pilot. And Lorne said no because Tina Fey was also working on her pilot uh, for Thirty Rock. And and he saw them as direct competitors, and um, and yeah, and so and so 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 Sorkin really like all he gets is like he gets cast bios, he gets interviews with cast members and stuff, and he's he's working off of like, it's like it's like um a game of telephone, uh, in terms of that, and so I think that's that that's what leads to, I think. I think this is why, if you look at Thirty Rock, the behind the scenes of the girly show on Thirty Rock are, is moderately different from how how it works on SNL because Tina Fey was there and she saw it, she understands these things. Sorkin didn't really have that context; so he just went with the one thing he knows. Um, so I want to step in here because I want you to know those themes that I brought up did not deter any of my watching of the show. It was just me having to accept these things on it because I have the same conclusion you do. This is a theater kid talking about his love of television and going it through that lens, which is why so much of this feels like play or about theater or about things like that. Like, And I understand that as a theater kid and also having done uh, am, semi-professional amateur theater here in Des Moines for ten years. You know, we don't we don't have professional theater like it just isn't a thing. But we have really good productions. So I don't want to also you're, make you're it sound in, like you're we're, in, yeah. you are you are in theater in, yeah. in Des Moines. And so it is one of those things where I was taking it through that film because I've never worked in television. I've never worked in movies. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate it because I don't want to repeat the same thing over and over and over and like try and mm-hmm. you know manipulate every little thing. Like I want to be in the room with the energy and all that. This is mm-hmm. full of that energy. It's the energy of being live and doing plays together on stage, except the plays are sketches. They're not skits, they're sketches. And yes. so I I totally got where he was coming from. And in fact, a lot of his critiques are things that I agree with. So that's the hard part is that I don't think this was all wrong in the messaging that it was trying to say, but it's not delivered in, it's not delivered in any, it's, it doesn't, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. It never shoots for layman's terms. It's always playing in the mm-hmm. in the intellectual academic mm-hmm. brain sphere because that's just who Sorkin yes. is. And people yes, like that, that when it was in the filament of of say politics, the West, Wing. West Wing, yes, yes. or sports uh, night as well, as you talk uh, so, about. So, uh, 
I, I, I think that's actually a good a good segue, which is to say, um, his first television show was Sports Night. It's behind the scenes of an ESPN Sports Center like show. Um, again, very similar, like like taking it basically what he knows how they make Sports Center to a T in terms of it. Sorkin also loves loves jargon. He loves he loves the um very specific language. Anytime two characters are talking to each other with language that old, with industry terms. Um, but one of my favorite examples of this is in the in the Social Network. Um, in the first half hour of the Social Network, uh, Mark Zuckerberg makes a makes the initial version of the Facebook where he scrapes all of the the students' photos off the off the individual like fraternities websites. When he's talking about how he does it. He's actually saying the right things that like like he's talking with the right Linux tools that you would use to do that if you were if you were doing it at that time. Like Sorkin talked to a nerd, and and that that has always impressed me, and I think that's very much true. That's that's very much true um, for this as well. Um, but but Sports Night was a half hour comedy. It was irreverent. It was trying to be funny. And it was funny. Like, like there's good bits in there. Um, whereas this is kind of taking the same gravitas he brought to the West Wing and placing it on a, a sketch comedy show like Saturday Night. And that tonal mismatch is, I think, what, is, what really annoys people. Like, no one takes this that seriously. I mean, to, to your point... I bet the people who work there take it that seriously and are thinking about it that seriously. And, and, but like the viewing audience doesn't. And certainly the TV nerds who are obsessed about comedy on television, like watching, watching 30 rock and, and then later like community and all those shows, like, like that group of people couldn't give a shit about that. They don't like theater kids. They are, they are, they are comedy connoisseurs. And so that's, I think what led to a lot of the, the reaction that we saw. And I'm one of those Venn diagrams where I'm a theater kid who is also a comedy connoisseur, but I'm not a comedy snob. And so I, I mean, I used to be, I used to be very snobbish. I was much more of a theater kid, especially after I graduated college with a theater arts degree and also a broadcasting degree. And so it was one of those things where I was just like trying to present myself in the professional way, which is just dumping all the jargon that you've learned so far, because that's all that you know, you know what I mean? And then you just get to know people and become friendly with it and all that kind of stuff. But like, there are times when you're talking in technical terms. When I'm directing, I have to give like sometimes really technical terms or like go into theory or go like to get someone's motivation. We have to go into like the psychology of a character. So we're talking about serious things that this character is doing. Now, I don't think they're getting into the psychology of what George Bush is doing in a sketch, you know, at any given moment on there. But like in the crafting of a show and especially when you are expected to do political satire. Like SNL is expected to take on politics because it started taking on politics from the beginning. And if they stopped doing it, then people would just say, oh, they're trying to like stay out of the controversy. They're afraid to do it, all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sh shout, shout out to uh, Dennis Perkins who used to write the reviews for SNL over at the AV Clippies over at Pace Magazine now. I read those every week, even though I don't watch SNL really. Um, incredible, incredible. I, but yes. I, I also have to say, third part of the diagram, I still like SNL. I like SNL. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I like sketch comedy, so I'll watch it. And like, some of it's garbage. Yeah, some of it doesn't click. Like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I know how hard it is to be creative in general and to come up with stuff. So, and I'm not a good writer. I'm because I have terrible writing discipline because it's work and it fucking sucks. I don't like doing work. I like having fun, like this on a podcast. And uh, so I understand, and especially when he's a writer putting that perspective. But the problem is it is so unrelatable unless you're tangentially involved. Like act, there is one of the things I laugh about. I 
constantly laugh about is the amount of theater that is about theater and yep. expecting people to take all of this as serious as they mm-hmm. do. And it's because yeah. that's their world. And so it's them like, this is their daily job, mm-hmm. but that's not relatable to anyone else. Like it can be interesting, but I don't think it can be relatable unless the, the, it is used as a film to t- comment on life in of itself. But a lot of times sure. it's just used to comment on the construct of media or theater or critical structure writing and the mm-hmm. things like that through satire or whatever. So it's just a bunch of in-jokes for, like, when I go to see him, I go, <laughs> little, you know, teehees in it. But, like, no one else in the audience is laughing because I understand the writing of what the joke is supposed to be and the pacing it's, and it's all this kind of It's written for you It's written for me specifically. Exactly. So this is kind of that thing. And people were expecting either more West Wing esque or more mm-hmm. comedy, and it no, wasn't they, they were they were the the bar that it was held to was comedy. I think using the gravitas of the West Wing on the sketch show was always a non-starter. It was never going to work, and so you'd have to lean into the comedy side. And that, again, that is where I think if I I think that if you watched like a couple episodes of Sports Night. It's actually funny. Like there, there are jokes in the script of the two people talking to each other as compared to their jokes in Studio Sixty. But not, not that's not really the point of the show. The point of the show is it's a character drama. Um, but can I say I find this show funny? I find yeah, this no, show no. very There's, funny. There, but not uh, there are there are jokes. I'm not saying yeah, there aren't jokes. But. No, uh, but this is, that's the weird part to me is that I, and I, I, it must be because I have a foot in both worlds that I, I understand some of the like the things about the relationships with people that are funny and so it's moments where yeah there's not a haha joke it's all very observational and that's the weird part about it is you have to sort of agree with the observation he's making otherwise you're just like either going to take it as a critique on you as a person like the nothing in the articles yet we talked about but one of them which basically was like aaron sorkin thinks you're an idiot or thinks you're stupid um and that take on it or they just find it not funny and then they just get like mad because people who love comedy hate bad comedy. And, and also in this in the fiction of the show, they talk about how it's genius comedy, how Matt Albert yeah, is a genius it's not comedy good. writer. Or at least it's not good, no. They don't show us anything good. Yeah. Which again, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it was meant to be, I don't think it was meant to be taken ironically, but some of the stuff I, re- no, I was I th- listening to it and I'm like, this is what Aaron Sorkin, Sorkin thinks jokes are. But the problem yeah. is, this would be me if I try to write jokes. Because sure. I just I just make it so heavy on the setup which requires a specific set of knowledge to get to just like a little punchline but it's about the journey of it and i like the i like the pacing the journey the cadence of it but they're not ha ha jokes there's it's not mm-hmm. professional comedy arts and as you he, said he he had staff yeah. writers but he wouldn't use them yeah uh we should talk about that um i really just want to say we're 19 minutes in i don't know we're we're we're, we're, we're a ways in missy did you like this show yes i loved this show I really, I am like yearning. I had to, I had to hear it on the. I had to hear it on, it on the record. Yeah, today I recorded. I believe it will be last week's episode in the timeline of this. Uh, the ep- the first half of the menagerie on Star Trek. So I'm on a cliffhanger there, and I'm in a cliffhanger with this series at the same time. So I am yeah. really excited to get into it. Yeah, no, I thought it was funny. I thought it was also interesting. I mm-hmm. I didn't think it was too dramatic. Because I think I took it with a sense of just not trying to think it was too deep. Again, yeah. I intellectually agreed with a lot of the criticism and things that it was trying to say. It is just mm-hmm. funny coming from people who are supposed to be highly irreverent. But everyone in this show is reverent. And that's a weird thing about it where 
there's not a lot of people in comedy that like I mean there are those people who are reverent in comedy and stuff who who enjoy it as a whole but they also lean into the irreverency which there's not much of that in the script at all and, and I yeah. don't know if it's because this topic was so touchy for Sorkin that he loved it so much he couldn't do it no but it's... I, th I think this is just how Sorkin approaches everything he approaches okay. everything like that and like with with sports you have that because it's like a competition and, and yeah. it's, it's back and forth and stuff and with with politics obviously and then and then the newsroom as well the newsroom goes off the rails in a complete other way oh, um and in this one Hector said can we walk and talk I almost came it was fantastic yeah, and so, but but yeah, so like I think this is how he views it. Like like it's one of those things where it's like if 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 if, if this was a cartoon and we could see the world through Aaron Sorkin's eyes, everything would be serious and life and death and 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 this serious. Um, like like as compared to you know what what you and I see. Um, but let's let's. I'll oh, add sorry. one real quick thing that I just thought of that is true. I think the other thing that hurt, and we'll have to get into more of it later. But just to keep in the back of our minds is the fact that 30 Rock is one of, I think, the funniest shows with some content not aging well and wasn't was spoiled when it first came out. But broadly yeah. speaking, it has so many jokes yeah, per no. minute that it, it when you are comparing the two, that's mm -hmm. also what made this D DOA is 30 yeah. Rock is just strictly a better show. Yes. Well, 30 Rock is a better comedy, I think. I don't know that I like. I, I guess. I guess you could say Thirty Rock is a better show overall, like objectively. I'm. Not, I. I really can't argue with that. What I will say though is, it's hard. It's. It's weird comparing them. Um, I understand why they got compared, but like the 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 example, the example Sorkin always gave is like, there's like fifty shows about cops on TV. Why? Why does no one? Why does no one care that there could be two shows about cops, but there can't be two shows about sketch comedy? And it's like, to his point, I get it. Um, I also think this is what you know. My other my other problematic favorite, uh, HBO's Girls ran into where Girls was on at the exact same time as Broad City. They were both ostensibly about you know young women navigating life in New York City. That is basically where the the, the similarities between the two shows end, but it kept becoming a like, you know, Broad City is better than girls because it's actually funny or this and that. It's like, no, they're trying to do two completely different things. This show and 30 Rock are not trying to do the same things. And I but I think the 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 only way invited comparison and then we'll move on is the fact they were both on NBC. That yes. NBC weirdly pitted them against themselves because mm -hmm. of yep. doing this. And so yes. it, it almost like they were expecting like, okay, Thunderdome, you two fight it out, and whichever one mm -hmm. is clicks, like that will stay. And it was weird because they basically just like couldn't commit to one or the other. That's what it felt yeah. like. So it was sort of like mm -hmm. you as the audience, you are doing your trial run right now. So tell us. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So let's dive into the show. I want to go through. I definitely want to go through the pilot, and I want to talk uh, like highlights of some of the other episodes. Yeah. Um. We watched the first eleven up through the Christmas episode, which is what I told you. That was the original out. I said if you didn't like it, you could stop watching after, uh, after the eleventh one. But I. Uh, but there's a lot of really cool callbacks at the end of that episode to the pilot, and so I wanted yeah. to make sure you you got that. Um. Yeah. So the so. Show starts. Um, it's it's Friday night in Hollywood. Uh, they're about to start su Studio sixty, and Wes is arguing with the standards and practices guy. He the standards and practices guy says you got to cut cut the sketch, and then he oh. played by um, Michael. What's his last name? I can never remember. Is it Schalberg or whatever? Um, I don't know. Uh, he's he's oh he was the lead in a serious man and was in Men in Black three as the alien like he's he's just a favorite character actor of mine. Mm -hmm. But I saw him and I looked at him, he's like, oh he's in, only in this episode like okay like that's great. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and so he um he goes he the the show starts and he goes on air. He walks onto the set and starts giving a rant. Um, Cal, who's the director in the booth, uh, played by Timothy Busfeld, um, Busfield, um, who uh, doesn't cut him off. And the standards of practice, this guy is screaming at him like, and, and, he, and he's like, he's telling them to change the channels to turn him off. Uh, and then at some point, um, Wes Mandel says the word whorehouse. And then that was the word that was the, that was now, oh, now we're, now we're violating FCC standards. You gotta, you gotta go. Um, and it, and it, and it cuts to VTR. I call it that because that's one of the three words that Aaron Sorkin knows and he uses it all the time. Huh. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but, um, uh, yeah, it cuts the VTR and that's the intro to the show. Then we're introduced to, there's a dinner party. We're introduced to Jordan McDear, who is the new president of the network NBS, not Love NBC. Her. Love her. Fun, fun, fun fact in the script. It was NBC. Interesting. See, that's, that's okay. Keep, we'll talk about that later. I can't get into this right in now. The script, in the script, it literally just is, is just, the network is just called NBC. Okay. Um, but she's, she's the new president. Um, she, the, the party's being, you know, thrown in her honor of her starting her new job. Um, the chairman of the, the board, uh, at Asner's there, uh, Stephen Weber's there. And all of a sudden, all of their phones start ringing because West has gone, gone crazy on the air. And so they're all hearing about it about the same time. And then she immediately like rushes into action. Um, then we are, then we meet, then we go to the um, Writers Guild Awards, where where um, uh, Matt Albee, played by Matthew Perry, and Danny Tripp, played by Bradley Whitford, who are a writer director combo, like a creative team, um, they are they are there with their new movie that that came out and and is nominated for an award. Um, Matt is talking about how he broke up with his girlfriend Harriet, who's one of this, who's one of the cast members on the show, and and like, did, why why did you break up? It was because of the national anthem. Because you didn't go see her watch, sing the national anthem. Um, it's also introduced that Matt is on Matt is Matt had a back surgery, and so he's on a lot of painkillers, and. I don't know. There's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of sort of exposition dialogue and introduction to the characters. Matt wins the award. He goes on stage. He says he says I I've never been without my without my best friend Danny Tripp. And he and he points the has a point the spotlight and Danny's missing because someone ran in and told Danny what happened on Studio sixty and he went to go find a videotape to see it. Um, so so that that introduces most of our most of our primary most of our cast. Um, you 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 mentioned you Jordan McDear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Pete is magnetic. She's she's incredible. The 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 thing that is really the most depressing about all of this is that this show kind of killed her career. Oh no. That's if you rough. Look, if you look at her because she was she was um she was primarily doing movies at the time. And then if you look at her IMDB after this point, like the movies kind of drop off and the TV shows kind of drop off and yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. Um, the last big thing I think she was in was Togetherness on HBO in 2014. Um, but she's she's incredible. She's she's such she's so magnetic. She's just like um like her charisma just jumps off the screen. What movies was she in? Because I I I looked at her and she looked new to me, and I that's I instantly just fell in love with her. Yeah, her personality. As you, I I would only be repeating what you said. Magnetic, charismatic, like oozing mm -hmm. sexuality, like just mm -hmm. incredible. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I knew her from being in The Whole Nine Yards and then later The Whole Ten Yards, which was okay. that uh, Matthew Perry, Bruce Willis comedy. Oh, so um, Matthew Perry again. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's, she's done a number of things. Um, she was in... Um, she was in Something's Got to Give, which was the Nancy Myers movie with, I believe, Jack Nicholson. Okay, um, I haven't seen that. She, yeah, and then she was in Saving Silverman with Jason Biggs in two thousand one. So seen she that. was kind of just in like a lot of, I think, like like um, I don't know how you'd put this, like pop pop fair, like yeah. not 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 Oscar movies and not action movies and not like, totally independent films, but like right, but like right. mid budget like, films. Yeah, yeah, like like, like adult contemporary um, target, especially targeting at like women or teen boys, one yeah. or the other. Um, the kind of movie that doesn't get made anymore, basically. But yeah, yeah so, so she was in a, she was in a number of those. Hmm. Well, I, no, it really was this show. It really was this show. Okay, we'll have to um, get into that. So, 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 yeah. So part of it was the show was the show was um, a ratings bomb basically immediately because there was too much hype. There was way too much hype. Oh yeah. And so it was a ratings bomb. The critics all pretty much hated it, and it didn't get um, and. But the the way the contract was written, I believe, was they still had ordered. They either had ordered the full season, or they had an incentive to produce the full season. And so, essentially, this is like I, I had talked to you about, like, oh, the second half of the show it really kind of dips in quality. Yeah, it's kind of like they're all locked into their contracts and they don't want to be there, and oh, it's really sad. Interesting. I'm very curious to see how they implode this uh, this right. show. Because you think about you think about it like if if the show is bad, it would get canceled. She would be on she would be on set the next the next week for something else. And here she's locked into this show for a year, doing twenty two full hours. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it did slow it did kind of it did kind of throttle a lot of these people's careers. Um, Sarah Paulson didn't have that much going on until American Horror Story. Matthew Perry didn't really have much going on for a while. Bradley Whitford not until Trophy Wife, which I think was like twenty twelve. Um, so yeah, it it was it was really a like a like a damper. Um, the only one the only one basically made it out unscathed is Simon Helberg, who made it on pre past topic of the show, The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, which uh, you mentioned to me the fun trivia fact that if this had been renewed for a second season, he would not be in The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yeah. So he was the one that since this show bombed, he made money. Yep. And and if you watch rewatch the George Lucas talk show marathon, when you see like Nate Torrance and uh, um, the other guy who plays Adam, like yeah, it's it's uh, a little salty. Okay, <laughs> a little salty. I'm, I'm interested. I related a lot uh, to the character of of Nate, um, because especially the episode, the one where we said an article that was deriding it, where he has his parents come in, yes. and uh, he's basically trying to widely derided, them. widely mocked. That episode especially the 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 sketches not skits line and that whole premise of that episode was was that was like that episode especially was like a lightning rod for the for the the people who hate were hate watching the show at the time. And it's because Nate Cordry or not or not Kate, Nate Cordry but Nate the character um, mm -hmm. is a theater kid. He's just yes. a, a proxy for a young Tom, sorry a young Tom Jeter Tom Jeter as played by Nate Cordry. Oh, I'm who is Nate in the show? I've. Nate is the is, Nate. I think I think is the bigger guy. Oh yes, you're right. So sorry. Yes. Okay. Um. Uh -huh. So uh, so Nate Cordry. I'll just keep saying because I won't remember that name. Uh. Nate Cordry. Tom Jeter. Tom, Tom Jeter. Jeter. Okay. Tom <laughs> Jeter. Eric. So okay. Derek Jeter. But Tom. Tom Jeter. Tom Jeter. Yes. Okay. Tom so Jeter. Tom Jeter, um, who's 
who did the theater and loves the theater and is like super reverent about the space and everything that reminds me of me when i was first getting to theater like oh when i first Mm -hmm. started acting in shows and spaces that i had seen from like it was surreal to me and like you get used to it in a while it just becomes a normal space like oh yeah you know you're it's like any other space but it is a weird amount of like surrealness in it so like i got where his character was coming from where he just feels like really Mm -hmm. lucky to be on this show um, but also in a very vulnerable position as one of the youngest cast members that doesn't have much weight. Although he's part of the quote big three, and is there why yes. is there a definition of the big three? Are they just the ones that are in the most sketches, or they're what? the ones who are in the most sketches and who who hold the most power? Basically, the thought is they have to whatever decision they make, they have to convince those three, and then the rest of the cast will go along with it as long as those three are on board. Okay, got it. Um, because that, it... that that idea of like the big three doesn't really come up much outside of the pilot, but yeah. Um, it's definitely they definitely hit upon it on the pilot a fair amount, and that's um, why that was in the back of my head the entire time we were watching it. So I I, I treated their three storylines as primary character storylines and viewed the other people as background, even though some of them had very interesting stories too as well. And I don't want to say like I treat them lesser. It was just more of like we're not going to get much of we are not going to get so much of their point of view as we're going to get a lot more point of view from these three, and that yeah. that's what I felt like in it, but not necessarily. Within the context of the show, did I feel like really the only one that felt like the most important was Holly, Sarah uh, Paulson. Like her character felt yeah. like the most important one. Sorry, sorry, Harriet Hayes. Harriet Hayes. Hayes. I can't remember names. <laughs> it's Holly Hunter. It's, okay. it's Holly Hunter, Helen Hunt syndrome, but it's Harriet Hayes. Too many H H. Harriet Hayes. Harriet Hayes. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to back to the plot. I'm just going to speed through the rest of this really quickly. Um, J- Jordan knows that Danny has failed a drug test, and so he can't get bonded to make their next movie that they've been announced that they were going to make. So she tries to convince them to come work on Studio 60, where they'd been fired from. They were fired four years ago, and then and then launched them into their big their big like movie career. And so. Um, he's not gonna be able to make movies for two years, so um, they try to convince him to to come. Um, they don't want to come back because they got fired. They don't like the people who work there. They're they're worried that they're worried that they're not gonna be accepted. Um, but then eventually, um, Matt gets Matt gets roped into it. Matt Matt they both go to the theater. They watch Wes's meltdown. They talk about it, and um and, and it happens. They agree to take over the show. Um, basically, basically the next week, which is insane. Um, yeah, the, the whole events of that pilot and the second episode are like in, are all within one week. And it's, 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 it's wild. Some of the choices that they made around like dates and stuff was interesting, but, um, but yeah. And so, um, the network, uh, the, the chairman of the board who's played by Steven Weber doesn't like, does not like these guys. He he wants them fired. He, he this is also when it's it very much becomes Jordan McDear as the studio exec who talks like a creative is on the creative side and not on the studio side. Um, that that is also a very um, that's a very Sorkin like character to have. And and yeah, and then um, they are in the theater. Um, Matt runs into Harriet, and they're like, "Well, we're, we're working together. Can't got to deal with it." Um, we see Suzanne, the PA, played by Merritt we- Weber, who who actually went on to have a really good career. Sit post this show, um, she was on. She was on Nurse Jackie. I think she's been in a bunch of stuff now. I, I love her. She's incredible. Um, she she plays the she plays the PA in in this episode, and then comes back later in the series to do more, but does isn't really. She's just kind of background basically for the first like eight episodes. Um, and she says her iconic line, "Are you?" coming to save us 
and he and then Matt just kind of smirks and yeah and then that's the end of the that's the end of the episode cue under pressure and that's probably one of the moments where people decide on the series because it is said with so much sincerity like this character truly like there's a desperation and a hope and a reverence in her eyes to this person which a lot of people understand is a Aaron Sorkin stand-in and so mm-hmm. it's basically just someone he's being like, ah, yes, I'm I am a script savior. My my writing can come in and do those things. And I think some of this show is I do think there was a layer where he was meant to take the piss out of himself a bit. Oh like, yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, and, okay. And let's talk. Let's talk about that. We'll talk about that a little more. But like, yeah. I I also think that the way that the way that the pilot comes together you've got these disparate threads they all end up in the same building mm-hmm. they're it's like oh we're coming back together we're doing it like like it all has to be happened tonight that energy just builds and builds until the end of the until the end of the episode where they walk on stage and everyone cheers cuz they are they know they're coming back like i think that is what people really resonate with in this like when they read this pilot or when they when they watch the first episode is it's it's such a strong like it's such a strong opening for any show imagine any show gave you that level of energy going into your second episode um i I, that is really why i was like oh no i actually love this show i don't i don't i don't hate it i'm not gonna hate watch it and i and i watched it with an open mind and 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 yeah like that is that is really it like that is the magic i think of when aaron sorkin is doing his best work he can do that stuff like like it's nothing and um unfortunately he gets mired down in all this bullshit that that it we get less and less of that as time goes on, but but I'm glad you got to experience it because I think that I think that that end of like the last five minutes of the uh, Studio Sixty pilot is some of the most potent like Aaron Sorkin writing that there is. Yeah, and I was gonna say this is interesting coming off of my first experience with Emmy Sorkin being um, a few good men, a few good men, which I loved, and so that just teased it up, and so I don't have the expectations of people who were, saw The West Wing or Sports Night and expected it to be one or the other of them. I'm just watching mm-hmm. this as a, a show, and I find it fun. Again, it's a show written for someone like me. It is full mm-hmm. of theater haha jokes where they're the kind of jokes that don't land, but because when you're in a theater with other people and you collectively get these references or the little, like, just the way the script includes like a little meta yeah. or a little a yeah, little you, you, Lilton or whatever that it's you, you called out how in one of the episodes a plot point is that they printed off the script in the wrong page format yes. and so the timing of the show was off yeah like that to me was one of those things where I have dealt with script formatting and like trying to get things like done and the way that like people because I did readings for years and I had to try and figure out the best way so that my actors could work with it and understand and read it and have it be legible so it wasn't like so weird things like that where I'm like yeah this is stuff that like people in this industry deal with but I don't think any other human apart from like someone who literally lives in office space is dealing with that you know those kinds of measurements and things so it it is full of those things where yeah you're meant to go haha like oh my god they got the script format wrong like that's supposed to be funny but even though the characters are taking it so seriously and weirdly it's a very specific plot point within it that has a huge reveal like it's Chekhov's mm-hmm. script format um but yeah it's it's those kinds of things where again like but, i said it's not relatable to to any average person it just is sure, not sure 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 but like for me because like i watched this show and i i was not a theater kid um mm-hmm. I, I was explicitly not a theater kid or and a lot of my friends were theater kids so i definitely felt always felt kind of left out but um 
Were you a TV? Were you a TV movie kid? Eh, I watched a lot of TV. I wouldn't say I, I didn't really like. I wasn't really into like the making of that stuff okay. at all. Okay. Um, but I mean, like, I I did. I was really into sports night, and so that 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 kind of helped. And and I do th I do think that. Any story, if it's about a compelling situation with compelling characters, can be good and make you care about it. And I think, I think that, um, I think like for me, as I was watching, it, I was like, I was relating to the characters as people, not as like a script, like a like a someone as a head writer for a comedy show or a or an actor. I was, yeah. I was like, I was looking at it like, oh, he's having relationship trouble. Oh, she's having this or she's dealing with this. And it's like that's how I was looking at it, not not putting myself in the shoes of the person of the character as as it for their job, but just really like the the stuff that was going on around for them. Yeah, you're speaking to something that I didn't realize I was doing as well, but fundamentally taking it is the same thing of. I was watching a show about relationships because I, in real life, mostly don't care about what people do for work unless what they do for work is so interesting and they're passionate about it. But I, most people I know, their job is such a secondary thing in their lives because I hang out with artists and people like that. So, like, it is stuff where most of our day jobs are just a way for us to find self-patronize and do our art, you know, that we make very little money off of at night and things like that or just do it for fun because this is just how we get off. Um, so, yeah, it's just like... I said that. Don't, I, try, don't drag I, me into this. I, I, it's just, that was a Sorkin punchline. You know, I was going for satire. Yeah. Uh, it was self. Yeah. It was self-flagellating. I don't know. And uh, yeah, so I, I just kind of, I think, approached it that way as well. Like as you mentioned, I realized, yeah, I sort of did that too. Um, and that's just because that's a part of what I fundamentally find interesting about TV. I don't find yeah. people's work interesting because again, cop shows aren't like. Unless it's a investigation show, most of those are about the relationships. Like so much of the NCIS that I saw or Criminal Minds that I watched through like my family watching it and stuff was just about these people's relationships with each other. And then, oh, yeah, we have to have like three minutes of an actual investigation so that we can like keep you keep you people who want that sort of thing clued in and then more soap opera drama stuff, you know, behind it for everything else. Totally, totally. Um, you like you because you because you and I were texting while you were watching these because once you once you revealed that you liked it, I, I, I was I was okay with this. I was a little because I was very worried you were gonna hate it, and then I'd have to 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 get texts of you screaming about how much you hate it, like every other person, every other person in the world other than me and I guess Aaron Sorkin. I don't even think Aaron Sorkin like like likes this show anymore, so I might be the only one. You you and me might be the only ones. Oh, I'm sure he soured on it the instant that people didn't like it because it's such an immediate yeah, thing. Yeah. And they were working on the show as it was being done, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yes. So they would have yeah, so they would have the instant they feedback. Were, like, like I said, that's they knew that they had gotten canceled in the back half when they were filming the back half of the show. And the enthusiasm just drops off a cliff. And this was one of the first true victims of social media because this was a time that Facebook and Twitter and those things were emerging, as well as the height of media criticism becoming mainstream, where wow. a lot of, it was the beginning. No, it's not the height it was, of, it was, it that, was just No, 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 no. What, what I would say is, specifically it was the height of snarky TV recaps, television yes. without pity, the AV club, yes. th those sorts of things. Like, that was, that was like, that, that is so tied, I think, to those th that generation of TV shows: The Office, Thirty Rock, Parks and Rec, Community, um, this show, and 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 it's so completely inseparable. Yeah, and this being a product of the Bush era too is very interesting because it's a time capsule mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of some of the issues we were dealing with then and still de dealing with now, and other things that are much more 
secondary or were just very much of the time. You know, the fact that yeah. being a female president was a was a big deal. You know, a lot of organizations have that still as an issue, but a lot have had them, you know, installed in mm-hmm. during the time that's on there. So, yeah, it's just it is yeah. very interesting. Yeah. But so my, my original point was you, you were texting me like like I was trying to play Pokemon, but I'm just watching the show. Why is this show so easy to watch? Yeah. And I was like, because it's it's well written. It's tight. And, and the, there's interesting character relationships. That's that's why I like this show. I don't care about the comedy. Yeah, I, I, I um, we can go through some of my notes. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. OK, so I have to go from the top because we have to try and uh, have this be there. Uh, yeah. So it starts with you, the haha. Uh, yes, sickos meme was when you uh, yes. you knew things were going to be great. I, I do find it funny, and I did still find it funny, that this is the most me-in-real-life thing, like, removed from whatever bit of persona that I have with Missy, which is very much just a lot of exaggeration of me. But, like, it is very funny that I would get into someone's writing through their failed project that, like... It just just seems like the very much type of thing with me because I go for obscure things that are sort of, like... Don't don't have small fandoms that aren't over discussed. Yeah. Like I liked watching Game of Thrones, but I have no desire to talk about Game of Thrones because it's such a sure. you know radioactive like landscape because of this. This has been like this is this was got carpet bombed and now things are growing and healing for the people who you know liked it uh, dare to be like it because we're the ones the, that are the, the ones of us out here. Yeah, like we're the ones now venturing into it. Like there isn't much. There's there's not that much culture impact except for as we talked about the people yes. who just truly hate this and make it a part of their personality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, while while you're while you're going through your notes, um, I, I should call out that the exterior of Studio Sixty, the building exterior that they use, is actually the Hollywood Palladium, which is a concert hall in the middle of Hollywood. It's a it's a very very famous concert hall. It's where um the last scene, like the last big music number from the Blues Brothers was shot. Okay. Um, it's it's like a big round room. Yeah. yeah. Um it's used in licorice pizza, it's used in a bunch of stuff. Um and they actually use the exterior. Like I, I knew they had the establishing shots with the fake with the fake marquee, but they actually have shots where they're at the palladium like in the parking lot outside talking about it in the in the pilot. And so I thought that was I thought that was cool. Um it, later in the later in the season uh Matt goes to the Roxy, which is a real club on the Sunset Strip. Um oh I can talk about the Sunset Strip in a second, but uh, it's a real club, and they did use the real exterior, but the interior that they showed, where it's like they show a stage, and then he, he goes by, he goes backstage with in the dressing room and stuff. That is not that is all a set. That is all not real. The Roxy does not look like that inside. Okay, um, th- one of the things that this answers in our podcast, which frequently comes up, is leading male stars and why they are the way they are. Um, oh yeah, this answered for me. Why Matt Pear? Because I Why Mappa? have not seen Friends. Moppy? I saw a few episodes of Friends and hated it. I yeah. it actively did not like it. Um, and I'm not going to hate yeah. to watch that because I truly just think it would be a miserable experience people hearing me yeah. just bitch about it because I know a lot of people like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't there around for it. I haven't seen the whole nine yards. I was aware of his like two sitcoms, Mr. Sunshine, and then Go On, which is the one that was on NBC after, like a few years yes. after. Yes, yes, um, yes, Sonnet. Goon, Goon. I also forgot that he played uh, Oscar Madison opposite Tom Lennon as Felix in The Odd Couple on CBS. Yes. Uh, like, it. That happened. It is. 
but this show I felt like worked so well for his style of mm-hmm. arrogant jerkiness, you know, sort yeah. of uh, thing, which I don't know what extension of that is his actual personality versus just something he's good at playing. I, you know what I mean? Um, I I, th- I get the sense uh, again. This is all speculative because he's a celebrity, but I get the sense that that is that is kind of close to his. That is kind of close to him as well. Um, Sorkin did write this with Matthew Perry in mind, and that's why the character is named Matt Alby. That makes. I was gonna ask if this was written for him because one, like you said, it's called Matthew, but also people like. Uh, oh no, he's the only one that has the name. That's his actual name. Now that I think about it, um, mm-hmm. which is just funny and interesting that. For writing a writer, he thought of a sitcom star uh, to be the lead of it. Which, again, he, he had done other stuff too. Like it's not just sitcoms, but that was what he was widely known for. Yeah, no, I mean he was he he was coming off of Friends, yeah. the biggest show in the world. And this is a show where Chandler Bing was charming to people who liked it. And in this, this character is like anti charisma. Like it is, he's not charming when he comes in here because he takes things way too seriously. And that is a bit funny of why he takes things too seriously. But, like, he he basically is an antagonist. Like, not like a, you know, a good play structure antagonist, but just antagonistic to everyone around him yeah. because he is so. Mm-hmm. So it has so he's much like, conviction and stuff. He's like a he's like a um a satire of a port of a tortured genius. Like like his big thing is like I have to write. I have to. I like I'm I'm eating it. I can't write. I can't write anymore. Mm-hmm. And then and then it always it always pops out. Like it, it's always pops out fine. But he's never happy. Yeah, it it is very much like like you said earlier. I do think that I do think that Aaron Sorkin was putting himself into that character. Yeah. But I also think it was him trying to trying to call out a lot, all of his faults while he's doing it. Um, so the notes I sent, I realized have started start at Nevada Day Part One, which is Part Seven. So what I mm. what I'm gonna do is very quickly just kind of touch on each episode and give just mm-hmm. the highlights for the things I like. We've kind of talked about the pilot a lot. Um, I just found the the setup for Harriet Hayes and Matt Alby's and the would they won't they of it all like, and just the fact that the tension is there right away and like they play it off well in my opinion. Like I really enjoyed the mm-hmm. the. Felt like they had chemistry of years and like yeah that, no no that would be I, like they would be, I, it would be a hate it would be, if this was not a hate watch that would be a hate fuck it would be and then they'd want to not yeah. add a hate fuck but like that uh-huh. would be it um, no um they both do a great job of selling it like even in the scenes where they're not together but they're thinking about the other person mm-hmm. I feel like I think I think that is something that Matthew Perry is good at and I think that's something Sarah Paulson's good at yeah I can't think of other Bradley Whitford stuff I've seen. Uh, mm. uh, and I don't want to just bother to look it up right now because uh, we've we've been talking about this for a long time already. Uh, which... um, Revenge of the Nerds two? No, I, I haven't seen any of okay. Revenge of the Nerds. Um, <gasps> I think I saw parts of it where he that show where he played the choir teacher. I think I saw oh, yeah. an episode or two or that, and I I found him oh very interesting. I think he's very funny in this. Um, mm. uh, uh, but I enjoyed him so much on this role as Danny Tripp um so just really liking a lot of the the heavy leads within the show including uh, mm-hmm. uh Amanda Pete like I was like I'm in like I'm interested to see what happens with these people um mm-hmm. so the cold open is when they're basically like having a trying to get the stress of making the show where we start right away with the controversy of religion and Christianity and satire and crazy vague, Christians crazy Christians which again was very very uh relevant during the bush era and now is unfortunately yeah. circling back around to 
them retargeting homosexuals and LGBT and trans people and everyone within that sphere of the world, queer people, um, and just ramping it up. It's like, oh, yeah, we're in that area again where, like, they're so sensitive to any sort of humor that is happening because they're just on witch hunts to try and get it all done. And they have to deal with a witch hunt on a sketch where it's just called the Crazy Christians. We never see the sketch or hear the content of it, which is, I find very interesting because it that was the episode that told me this is not a show about sketches. This is not about the actual show within it. It is about the making of it and the pressure and those things. So I'm not going to see any of these sketches and expect it to be haha because again, that's not what Aaron Sorkin does. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just to get the crush of it to be on there. It really just also sets, like, Matt's real dug-in heels on being anti-religion, which I think turned probably a lot of people off because it's like, oh, so Sorkin just hates Christians and just wants to use this show to, like, bash them. But I also think Harriet Hayes is a very interesting, nuanced character who I don't think oh, is, yeah, like, yeah. We should talk- a negative we should person talk about at that. all. And she reminds me of a lot of my friends of faith who yes. through me and both my coming out as gay and also now coming out as non-binary trans have have balanced that weirdness of some fundamentalism but also being very accepting because I'm their friend and like that balance in there where I'm sure maybe in the back of their head they think I'm going to hell but also know that I'm like very open about like their faith and stuff like that so they also know I'm not like hostile and things you know because I come from that world I understand what it's like it's so it's almost like you have your friends that are still somewhat in the cult or half deprogrammed or fully deprogrammed it's very amazing how many of my conservative friends growing up are now very liberal some of them even more liberal than i am uh and uh that sort of shift happening and i feel like that shift was happening in 2006 but it hadn't quite come yet because it didn't have the presidential race didn't have obama and hillary and the running of all that um to do it so yeah it was, a, it was like, a different it was a different country it yeah. was a different country so, back then. so it was just interesting that that is the topic that i would pick because it does feel like that's the thing we got to get out of the way we have to talk about religion and how do we talk about it and this is a good way to set it up and but also funnily smartly not not playing into it enough to write an actual sketch about religion and trying to put it on you know so also yeah. like yeah tr- taking a lean back on it um but I really just enjoyed that episode uh, overall of it. Now, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Now you find memory. Yeah, if you want to say things from it that you want to ask me about, because I don't have the best memory sure. of everything. This okay. this show has also become an amorphous blob of yeah, a yeah, lot of the that. overall arching plots that I loved things in the moment, but I also was trying not to take notes, so it is a bit mush, you know, upon the replay mm-hmm. in my head. Sure. Um, we, we were talking about Harriet Hayes. I, I texted you at one point, do you know the origin of the character? And you figured it out immediately. Yeah, once you said that... origin, it's Kristen Chenoweth. Yes. So Aaron Sorkin actually dated Kristen Chenoweth in real life. Yeah. So when he puts the, the, the writer dating the dating the theater, the theatrical Christian into his show, it's he's really like it's he's really going through it on the page. Um it is yeah, so I, interesting how much of himself he's just pouring into this. Like, this is the one mm-hmm. thing, too, is that I sort of enjoy it is because it is so personal. Like, and people know about that. He's a public figure, and he's writing about people who are public figures. So he's he's really writing from a place of, like, what it's like to be scrutinized by a lot of outside people, which that's something that, you know, me as an actor worry about. You know, you can't help but worry about what people are going to think because that's the entire fucking point that you're doing this. If you're doing it for just yourself and then, like, 
without an audience or whatever, that's you're not really doing theater. You need to have that reaction and that reflection back on you. This was this was my introduction to Kristen Chenoweth because I was a I was a genteel um basically up until like twenty seventeen. Like that was the first time I actually started seriously taking theater and musical seriously. Yeah. So I never I'd never I'd never seen her listen to Wicked. I'd never seen anything that she had been in. And so for for a long time, I thought of Kristen Chenoweth as, oh, the the real life Harriet Hayes and not necessarily um, you know, um, star of, of stage and screen. Yeah, so I'm. I was very anti Wicked because people were obsessively playing it, and I'm like, yep. this musical cannot be this good. You cannot be hyping it as it was. And I went and saw it, and I'm like, oh, this is technically spectacular, but this show is not gr- like this story is not great. Like some of these songs sure. are like. Defying Gravity is like, you know, oh, yes, a huge moment. But then a lot of the rest of it is just a, some nonsense that's really funny at points. But again, talking about references and specifics, you have to really know The Wizard of Oz to get a lot of the stuff in that. Which people sit in a theater, yeah, or that's entirely their world and things. But it does, I, I'm curious to see how the movie goes because I feel like a lot of it's going to be maybe inaccessible. Like, uh, it's in two parts. I don't fucking know. Yeah, so uh, so my idea of Kristen Jenner was mainly from Wicked. And I, but I would see her occasionally as a guest person and I liked her, but I didn't, I don't love her. She like weirdly popped up on RuPaul's Drag Race for Snatch Game. And normally the celebrities are like the contestants in Snatch Game, but she was on the panel for no reason. So was writing answers down. And I don't know if that was her just being like, oh, I want to actually give answers and play that part because I can be as funny as these queens or whatever. But it was just a weird thing where I feel like, you know what? That's a nice representation of how Kristen Chenoweth like both sticks out and blends in, because she has to be. A, I, do you know details behind the scenes of how she is perceived by people working behind the scenes? Because I actually don't know. No, I don't. I, okay. I, I know. I know very little about her. So I, I was actually curious. Did were you familiar with her? With her like with her devout music at all? No, but it, I've learned I've learned to never be surprised when someone specifically in Broadway theater is a Christian because that actually mm-hmm. is weirdly a lot more chill than yeah. uh, I think sometimes it is in Hollywood when it, there's more scrutiny on people's public lives. Like I love Christine Eversall from uh, from Amadeus and she's very funny in The Mom and Macamie and she's like a crazy religious nut. Like and not like a normal like person who just has like a religion and is like oh in the background but like super hard about it and but like still works on Broadway all the fucking time. Like I saw her in Blythe Spirit on Broadway uh, uh, playing uh, Rupert Everett's original wife that's already dead. Um, uh, yeah so it just is very uh interesting to that that is sphere is sort of on there so i got why he was writing about it because it is sort of a, a deal of what do people of faith do in a very liberal sphere where especially you know it's brought up in the nevada episode we don't want to jump ahead yet but homosexuality like and positions on it and gay marriage like gay marriage wasn't mm-hmm. legal at that time so it was a huge deal people hadn't was come it, out as supporting yeah. of it like Barack it, Obama didn't support it for another six years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. 
Um, okay, yeah. So that's that's episode two. Uh, well, okay. We have to talk. We have to spend. A, we have to spend thirty seconds talking about the Gilbert and Sullivan number because that was really the that was the thing that actually insulted everyone. Like like the idea yes. that if you're gonna have a a funny that you need to have a big sketch, you're gonna do a Gilbert and Sullivan parody. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking about the people who didn't like the show after this. But that was really like that was like for me. It was like, well, that's the make or break point for a lot of people. Yes. I think. And you told me that ahead of time, and mm-hmm. I, I think I forgot or didn't realize that the musical number was a thing that I, I like. So I, it, it, when he said, I don't. How does he get to? He's saying something that gets him into thinking mm-hmm. about Gilbert and Sullivan, and it. But I. I think modern, and he was thinking modern, major, general. Like, I think it was that mm-hmm. maybe was the ring to it. Yeah. Um, but once he did that, I remembered, oh, that's right. This happens in this. Oh, that has to be the moment that, because this show is all about the cold open. Like, one of the most important parts of SNL. Like, the one that a lot of, the sketch that a lot of people eh. will just go and watch. For, no, I think it is the sketch. It's the, still the, the one of the most watched parts of SNL. Like, it, because that's a lot of times where they put the the political recent comedy. And so... Yeah, you know, much to the dismay during the Trump era, because wow, Alec Baldwin on my the fucking screen. Um, but yeah, so so I think the lead up to that and the fact that yeah, it's a Gilbert Sullivan, like it's a huge nerd pull, like it's a reference to that. But I'm also the kid that one of my favorite SNL sketches is Steve Martin singing "Not Gonna Phone It In Tonight," where they make it an original song and dance number for all of the cast where it's about Steve Martin could basically just like walk the show but tonight he's actually gonna care he cares but so I was like this has precedent this used to happen on variety shows and things Mm -hmm. like that like they would have you know cultural things of importance and that's that's what the weird thing I felt like the reaction is is people calling it arrogant but attacking it with an anti- intellectualism sort of view and stance of like them being above things that are like intellectual or academic or try to be like specific reference like that's the thing that i just felt like it was and it's like well i guess that's just my world and my sphere and i love it so yeah it was written for me in matt's office there is a pirates of penzance poster that was previously seen that was previously prominent, very prominent on the West Wing as well. Oh, and so okay. That is that was a carryover of from West Wing. Um, so it is the Gilbert and Sullivan. It is also slightly a self-referential. Oh yeah, within 100%. it. Okay, got it. I didn't get that level of. So that is being mm-hmm. not ironic, but it is being like, hey, you all know this part. Like, oh, let's do that. Um, yeah. I okay. But that's also a reminder of that's what Sorkin thinks is funny. And when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, this is theater. Ha, ha. Like, that's a theatrical moment. So I got it. I'm expecting theater jokes throughout this. And really yes. things like the focus group sort of brought that in there. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Jeannie with the light brown yeah. hair has her has her Commedia dell'arte skit. Yeah, like sketch. literally, yes. Sketch. The fact that the next episode has to do with Commedia dell'arte, I'm like, yeah, this is theater. This is all just theater stuff. Like, uh, Commedia yeah. dell'arte would legit never make it onto a sketch show right now. Like, it, unless, it was, is... unless it was a sketch show making fun of that trope in general. But it would have to... This, this, watching this episode was the first time I'd heard of it, so... Yeah, and that's something I studied in theater. Again, the only reason I know about it, because it's a theater trope. Not something that yes. most people know of, which is funny because this is the episode where um, the shirt comes from. Is that correct? Yes. Oh. Yes. This is the episode where the shirt. So, so um, the 
in this episode, the basic premise is that they get focused, they get focus tested. The focus test results say all kinds of stuff like they're not patriotic, and 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 some of the sketches weren't funny. And so Jeannie, who wrote and was pushing for this comedy dollarte sketch, um, it, it she says it flatlined, which is like only one person in the in the group liked it, and um. And so, and so Matt, in trying to calm her down, says like, hey, no, this is a sketch that it's going to need to build. And he says, if I'm correct, he says, he says, I'm going to bet you that if that number goes to two, if that one goes to two. I think the only correction is I'm going to pay you. T- I think wasn't it two to three? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it goes to four. And, and it's yeah, a yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, sorry. yeah. If the, My math if the two, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. If the two goes to three, um, if the two doesn't, or no, if the two doesn't go to three, I'm gonna pay you ten thousand dollars. Yeah. But if the two goes to three, I'm gonna make you wear a shirt at the rap party that says "Matt is my hero" and Danny thinks Moliere was Italian. I'm having wardrobe make the shirt right now. Now the funny thing is, they say that he thinks Italian, and does he actually say that Moliere was Italian in it? Does he outright say that? Well, no. He's he said he says he says that there's a connection, which there which, is. Which you said is true. Yes, it literally is but, true. But, like Moliere. Took the Comedia de Arte form and applied it to French theater. I bet. I bet. Sor- so like, Sorkin knew this, and yeah. Sorkin knew this, and was like, "I'm going to make my idiot, my idiot self insert character not know this." And then to the real theaters, it'll be even yeah. funnier because I didn't look up much stuff in it, but I literally went right away to look in there because I'm like, I I wasn't fucking taught this wrong, was I? I'm like, no, it's like first paragraph in his Wikipedia. Like he took the Comedia de Arte forms and put it into France. So I'm like, yeah. he wasn't wrong. So yeah. I again. A theater joke. Like, if this was in a theater and you had that part where it says, oh, Malayan community to Arte, and the other says, no, that's not true. The audience would go, ha, because they all understand that, no, he actually yeah, is. Yeah, 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 So I get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I And I love the fact that he – I do actually like the fact that Matt, everyone in – there's a recurring thing of everyone in this show doubles down on the material. Everyone trusts oh, the yeah. material and is always uh-huh. willing to, except for Peripheral Vision Man. Everyone is like willing to, like, they go to the map for Crazy Christians. That's going to get it on the air. I'm going to go to the map for the Comedia Arte. That's going to stay on the air. Like, I'm going to get you on the desk and we're going to keep you on the desk. Like, that's your place. You know, those kinds of things yeah. where everyone is well, just so committed. And the, and the president is, yeah. is, also very committed, like because she's spending a lot of time right. with the studio instead of spending time with the, you know, executives. So, yeah. So, so that is actually that is a very Sorkin thing, which is which is this this belief, this fundamental belief that it, good things will win out if given enough time to to run. Like like the whole thing with Sports Night was this, their sports show was more principled, better researched, better 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 show that that fewer people were watching because it it didn't pander to to the masses. Yes. And so that like that, that is the ethos of Sorkin. Like I'm gonna keep doing the sketch because God damn it, it's funny even though no one's laughing at it. Like it's like science schmiance committed to doing that. Rob Reiner guest host within it, director of a few good men as you said someone oh, yeah. called in a favor <laughs> oh yeah so there's a there's actually a lot of a lot of favors um so the first episode in the first episode the guest host is uh felicity huffman who was who was on desk for housewives at the time but was the female lead from sports night oh um, i didn't also... know that yeah oh, yeah oh my god that's why that's why that's why you, that's how you get that's how you get felicity huffman to show up in your pilot i was um, i was infinitely curious how they pulled 
the people on the show who actually appear as themselves in the celebrities. Because mm-hmm. yeah, they so reference I... a lot that aren't there, but like fucking Sting actually was on the show. Yes, yeah, like... so Sting Sting was there. Sting was actually promoting his his loot album yeah. at the time. That was a real oh, thing. Oh yeah, I, I've um, listened to that album multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that was one. Um. And, and then, like, I think it was, again, it was, like, because um, West Wing had famous appearances from, like, Yo-Yo Ma and a couple other a couple other musicians as well. And so, like, I think there's, like, there's a precedent for it. And so, like, Sorkin's name, you know, even though this show is getting dragged to dragged to hell in the, in the the by the critics and online, Sorkin's name is still in, like, you know, I'm sure in dinner party circles is still, it still has a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. So that's where you end up at. Um, you also get, um, what's her name? Uh, the older lady from Gilmore Girls is one of the hosts. Uh, oh, Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham is one of the hosts, and then, um, and then, and then later in the show, I guess, I guess this is a spoiler. Um, in one of the episodes, Allison Janney is a is a is a host, oh and God. Allison Janney, of course, from The West Wing. Yeah. Um. 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 What is her name? Fuck. Christine Lati, who is who plays who plays the uh the news columnist yes. in a future episode, is married to Tommy Shalami, who's the director of the show. Okay. And Tommy Shalami mm-hmm. is the stand-in for Danny Tripp, correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how much of that is actually real. Like the, the the two of them did work together on on all three shows, but I don't know if like if if Danny Tripp is like an amalgamation of of Tommy Salami the same way that that Matt Albee is. I it's probably I felt it was more of like Matthew is one half of of Sorkin's brain and Danny is the other half of Sorkin's brain and he's yeah, battling out his yeah. own thoughts of it. And maybe that is some of the stuff they've had with Tommy Shalom. Like maybe they have had some of those discussions, but yeah, it it didn't it did not feel like it was as I, I felt like it, it was existed more like Harriet Hayes did to, to hash out a lot of these themes um, mm-hmm. yeah. within it. Well, that's one of the reasons why I think I liked Jordan so much is that she's one that felt the most naturally placed within it because she's not always necessarily battling a theme every single time. It's a lot about her having to like clean up messes that keep popping up. And so it's very yeah. situational comedy in that way of like, oh, another mess to deal with, like always having it on there. Oh, one more thing in episode three. Um, at one point, someone says the line, no one can write 90 minutes of live television a week, you'll burn out. That was actually a reference to the fact that Sorkin was writing all of the scripts, the shooting scripts for Sports Night and West Wing at the same time. And so he was literally writing 90 minutes of television. That felt like, I I wasn't 100% sure, but like, that feels like a self-reference of him actually being burnout. Because yeah. I know that he, he suffered from a burnout and was a cocaine addict and other, I think, drug person as for a, a while. Yes. Um, because he was trying to just get the energy to survive all of these things. Um, so I... Well, and- he, well, he was also just a cocaine addict, but yes. Well, yeah, I just because he's a cocaine addict, you know, because uh, cocaine is addictive. But yeah, so the I just also thought it was interesting that they were like, okay, you have to to up your, uh, you have to maintain like, what do we got to maintain? What do we got to maintain? Like the ratings is so important. Like, what do you got to maintain? Right. And it's like ninety percent, or we're like fucked, you know, after the second yeah. episode, and they well, and, yeah, they, they, and they, they jump they did, up if, to like hundred and ten percent or something, yeah. Yeah, hundred eight percent. Yeah, it was because they had the the lead in with the crazy Christians thing, and it was like, okay, well, if you don't retain the audience, then none of this is worth it. All the, all the money we're spending here is not worth yes. it. Um, it's kind of like, I bet they were looking at the retention numbers of week to week with from NBC when they were deciding if they were going to get yep. get a back half and a second season of the show. Again, that's just stuff from the he's had to experience because he's in the industry. He's had to have his shows scrutinized by sponsors, by network executives, by all those kinds of things. You know, he's pouring himself into it. So yeah. the West Coast delay, 
I mm. thought this was interesting. I love the character of Martha O'Dell, um, who, mm-hmm. as you said, the, the character who's like um, Christine Lahi, Lati. Um, Lati. Uh, she, oh my God, she was so good. She's one of my favorite actresses. I'm glad she's a recurring character because she just mm-hmm. is as dynamic, I feel like, as Amanda Peet is on screen. Like, yes, clearly, she's, she's, she's awesome. Clearly, like, a great television actress, knows what shows yeah. she's in and is is playing it to a T. Um, this is another, this is another Sorkin thing also, which is like the person who comes in is a killer. They're the best at what they do. They, 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 they can, they understand all the lingo the other people are saying and can get, and can throw it back. But also like you just like, like it's hard to be in an American Sorkin show and not be the best at your job. And I think that's, that's also something that, that really appeals to me because it's like, it's this fantasy of like, you know, I, I, I have. I have coworkers. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't like all of them. Maybe they, maybe some of them don't pull their weight. This is a. This is a. This is this is like a team of killers who all are trying their hardest to make the best thing possible. And like it's this. It's this very like. Um. Um. I don't know. Girl boss mindset of of, of capitalism. Yeah, it, it is very much just conflict resolution. Where being we talked about it last time. Where being able to talk about it is the like will always prevail as well as. Sorkin's belief that like the best thing or sexiest thing that you can do is be great at your job, like th- like mm-hmm. being your job is your identity. He he sees his yeah. job as his identity, and that's what all these characters do. So again, that's why they're oh so so self serious because they're a part of this collective group. It is like theater kids get together, like we're all part of a team because like we have to be, otherwise this thing's just gonna fall apart. Um, so I find her presence interesting. Um, I also found the fact that Harriet's boyfriend, the baseball player, is being introduced and the sports references in it and the fact that he had, she had a sign uh, this there was the signed bat that had his phone number on it. Yes. That was that was also signed the day she sang the national anthem. That's yes. the other piece. Um which <laughs> is like cuz she basically is like stop telling fucking people that it was about the national anthem. People think I'm a fucking bimbo. People think I'm an idiot. And no, it wasn't just that, you know. It was basically that you were doing your own thing, filming away, and I was like doing an album and you didn't like help promote it. And he was like cuz it was a praise album. Like what am I going to do? And he's like you went on the 700 club with Pat Robertson. That was the deal breaker. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I know. That was the deal breaker." And like I have to sell my stuff. Like what do you want me to do? Like you know, understand the business. I'm in just that part of the business too, um, which I found again extremely fascinating because there are a lot of Christian artists who are in the industry because it is a niche in a market. They may not be that religious themselves, and in fact, sometimes they get found out of being, oh, they drink or they have like sex on the road, and then they like lose that cred and they have to go, you know, pull away from it or whatever. So that even part was really to me of someone having to get in that balance of you know, hustling in our capitalistic society that affects even religion. It was just part of mm-hmm. Sorkin's, you know, critique and a huge critique that I have of religion. Yeah. I feel like that that is the sort of thing, I don't think, I don't know if it's real. It feels like it could be real, though. Yes. Like, like it could have an actual thing that happened. And now, again, we get to a theme where only Sorkin is inexperienced. This is something that the biggest deal you could be is accidentally plagiarizing something. They, uh, a writer hands in a monologue and it's just like make or break. You're like, you need to pull something. So they put him in like, this is good. And he submits it. And then they, someone runs in with a clip 
from uh, Fred Stoller. Yeah, it's from the community, but Fred Stoller in real life, uh, the not Ray Romano. And um, he's doing the exact same bit, like, verbatim. It's literally the same bit mm-hmm. verbatim. So we realized this writer just copied someone else's thing. It was, like, from an obscure club, but someone mm-hmm. on social yes. media, I believe, noticed it and, like, posted it for him. So now they're freaking out because plagiarism's happening and that's the worst fucking thing mm-hmm. to do because you could get sued they have to figure out the rights and all that so they rush the, so they basically tell the actors we are now doing west coast delay which means we're gonna have to do all this live and we are gonna yeah. air an apology and cite immediately the person whose clip it is and say we wrote a joke in here sorry so they're getting that ramped up and he's live on the air and he delivers the apology as they get the wait, 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 wait. as they get they the have to in. get a they Go ahead. They have to get a they have to get a real life like sports score to prove that they're live and it wasn't pre taped. Oh my god! And so, so he announces a, he announces a, a thing from a, from a cricket match in in, the, in Bangalore, India, and that is so fucking Aaron Sorkin. I've, that shit is so. Aaron I Sorkin. blocked that out of my head because I forgot that that <laughs> happened. Um, so yeah, so they're like proving it's real, you know, and he delivers the apology, and then they get the comedian in, and the comedian's like, "Oh, I fucking stole that." Like, I didn't make up that bit. And they're like, oh, no, now we have to find this other. So I think they, they cite the person. And the person that they cite is was an old writer from the show. And so they're right. desperately seeking it. And then what they realize is, so then they have to deliver a second address apology. apology where yep. he's doing it. Now we're having to fuck it, do it live. Where he's saying, I have a second apology. Uh, it was actually not this person. It's this other person. And then they, and then by that point, Stephen Weber is like calling in Russian and like, what the fuck's happening on your show? What is this? Like, not like, what's going on here? Yeah. Do you not have, like, Amanda Pete, do you not have everything in control, Jordan? Um, and so yeah. they're all trying to freak, again, because Stephen Weber's job is here to freak out, and I love it. He's the best. His intense, angry energy yeah, is so he's, fucking he's, funny. He, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy that you, that you want to like. Oh, yes, exactly. He is the Robert Duvall role in Network, and he, and he knows that. Um, and so. They that it's long and short because we're already um they realized that the sketch was written like that material was written for the show and it was rejected but because it was still written by the writer on the show they own it so then they issue a third statement on the show and it's um DL Hewley you mean uh so so, so Simon Styles Simon Styles DL Hewley yeah yeah um he is delivering this and every time he's still he's. <sighs> He has the energy of reading it like he's reading a hostage situation and he's just reporting it mm-hmm. so blah. Like there's no charisma. And I felt so bad. And I think and I know it's because mm-hmm. he's just like going through it. And, and it's isn't it? Yeah. He's early on well, in his time doing the news as well. So he's just trying to get his balance. And they're just making him do this live, this like weird apology where he can't crack jokes to do it because it's very serious. Because again, plagiarism is the most serious fucking thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I just thought that arc was incredible and and made me also think about it like, okay, yeah, a West Coast show is doing it live. So they're actually doing this show pretty early in West Coast time. And mm-hmm. then redoing it would be like, I don't know, 10 p.m. or something? Midnight. Or midnight? Like, no, no, no. I think it would be – I think it would – because it's oh, just after 11.30. Yeah, that's true. So it's, like, so it's like SNL. So it would probably be around like 12, 12, 15 yeah. that you'd be doing it. But but also think about like normally the show ends for them at like 10.30. Oh, and yeah. then they go to their rap exactly. party. Then they're drunk. Yeah. So, so yeah. they're also just like antsy because they're like – because of things that aren't their fault. Which are, and, oh, and the other yes. aspect of it is the two executive producers that Matt – 
constantly is butting heads with because they were the ones that fired Ricky him. and Ron. Yes. Ricky and Ron. Well, sorry. They did not fire him, but they are not funny. They are they're hacks. Okay, yes. And and they took over the show after after Matt and Danny got kicked out. Yes. Um, which I don't know if that's commentary on the West Wing, but ha, it would be hilarious if it was. And so, um, no, it, it, it okay. isn't. It isn't. Um, because John Wells took over the West Wing, and I think th- I don't think there's any like lost blood there. But yeah. okay, um, I these are speculated. I always just like speculating on these things. Um, yeah. and so they just refuse to name names. They are standing by and saying, "We are a whole writers' room. It came from the writers' room. We are the ones. You can fire us if you want." And then Matt's basically like. That's what you want me to do. So I'm not. I'm going to reverse Uno, Uno card and not do it. And we're just going to make it work because I can write the whole show myself. 90 minutes. I'm not burnt out yet. Give me some more Vicodin. Um, yeah. So I, I, I actually enjoyed this story. Weirdly, I thought it was just again because it takes itself so self seriously. Um, and I do know that it, it legitimately plagiarism is a big issue in, in, in the arts. Like. Artists do have to take yeah. that seriously. But again, the lay person yeah. like on the outside isn't going to be like, wait, what? Like they accidentally did the same sketch. Like, oh, wow, they're really taking this fucking seriously. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I, just the specter of the FCC always being in the background is so such a funny thing that it's like an unseen character that everyone is just complaining about that uh, always pops into their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The next episode is the long lead story. And I'm going to need you to help me get a breakdown on this because I remember the part where there's a subplot of Jordan is passing on this like pretentious hack of a reality oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. series yeah. producers show. And it's a huge, it's going to be a guaranteed moneymaker and she doesn't even bid on it. Like it's not that she lost the right. bid. She doesn't bid. And that's a huge, she didn't even bid. Like she didn't, she didn't lose the bid. She, she didn't even bid. Like, oh my God. And she's like, yeah, I don't want crap on my TV. I'll, and and yeah, they're like, it's, 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 it's a, the show the premise of the show is basically that that the people who are it's like a dating show where there's a married couple and they're gonna see if they can stay together while they have they hire private investigators to look into their lives to look up like secrets from their past and shit yeah um it's called seek and destroy and jordan's like this is disgusting i'm not buying this and and it's like but this guy's shows only print money they only print money and and it it is that sort of it's funny because she is the anti-Faye Dunaway in network because Faye Dunaway wanted to put on that sort of spectacular like country stuff and she's like I want to get rid of that so that was the other interesting part was when I realized oh with referencing network he's also telling you what archetypes you're going to be looking for like Mm -hmm. I feel like um uh, I feel like Matthew Perry is a bit of the Howard Beale within this in the sense of he's the voice of like trying to be more prophetic in his talking and Danny Tripp is more of William Holmes' character, and I can't... Max Shoemaker, who's more of the pro and is going to keep together, but has, you know, personal issues too. You know, has his own shit that he's dealing with. Um, is this where I admit that I've never seen Network? Have you purposely not watched it? No, I just never got around to it. I... Oh. We have to watch that. <gasps> we have to okay, watch that. Yeah. I don't know if we'd have to do it for a podcast, but Network, Network is one of my top five films. And that is a very... Okay. This, here's the thing is, it is cliched now to talk about Network and how pressing it is. Like, right. it is just so tired. But truly, when yeah. I first saw it when I was in, like, high school, it was revelatory for me. Like, it, it, I was at no, that I get, age. I, I believe yeah, it, yeah, so I was at that age where, like, it wasn't cliche at the moment. It was like, yeah, good. So so my taking it through that lens too as well, which Network is very funny to me. Like, I find Network hilarious. Um, just in the same way that I find a lot of the stuff in here, like, hilarious. Um, so yeah, that, that whole 
uh, through line in there, but the whole printing money and just doing it for the network and the shareholders and how the shareholders and all of that is is another ominous threat represented by mm-hmm. Stephen Weber. Um, and at, and yeah. as Asner, who I wrote at one time, Ed Asner is sucking capitalist China's cock. Like he wants that China money oh, yeah. so bad. And, he, he wants to build a city in Macau. Yeah, he literally yeah. says, I want to build a city in Macau. That's the dream. Like that's what we're going to do. And it's like, aren't you in like a media company? Like what's happening? You know, it's just like, well, no, they're, they're like a conglomerate. They're, they're like a conglomerate. Oh, yeah. they, do, they do all kinds Shine of stuff. Shine Hart Um, um <laughs> I also, I also really appreciated in um, one of the first episodes, uh, Stephen Weber's character, uh, Jack, Jack, not not Jack something, Jack something. Um, Stephen Weber's character says to, oh, Jack Rudolph. Jack Rudolph says to Jordan McDear, "You've got spunk, kid. I hate spunk." And then he goes, "See, I like television too." Which made and me laugh. Say, but also is a line that Ed Astor yes. said on the Mary Tyler Moore exactly. show. Exactly. And so... It's referencing, is, like, it, Ed Asner exists in this show as a person who was a character, but Ed Asner, the actor, is also a person who just apparently looks like Ed Asner. And it, yeah, or, or the or the Ed Asner looks somewhat like, like someone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so that was... Uh, that was um, okay, so... At the same time, Jordan wants to bid on a on a on a, a, a pilot for a drama about the United Nations. Yeah, like a prestige um, HBO type drama, literally yeah, just yeah. about the lives of people in the United Nations. Was I was like, fuck, I actually want to watch that show so fucking bad. That yeah, sounds right. exactly like the type of shit I would watch. Which again, Sorkin, theater kid, cares about people talking, diplomacy, people being able to speak and 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 reason and speech things out. Mm-hmm. Which again is really just run by this. Money. This was a play on the West Wing. People didn't think that they would oh. they would want there to be a show about they would want there to be a show about the about politics about the president. Um, it is a theater wonderkind who wrote this pilot, um, and he ends up on a, he ends up on a major network and not on a, not on an NBC or on HBO. I yeah, it's oh it's, it's a complete analog. I didn't. I never made that connection. I just didn't think about that. That's. God, he really is pouring himself. Like the, he had so yeah. much, he uh, so much he had to get out of his head, and this was his medium yeah. to do that. Like it, it's oh, it's leaking out. Um, and then a lot and like, of this, and like, and so like, so you know that it's a good, you know, the story ends well because the West Wing was a big hit. It was both critically and commercially successful. It ran for eight seasons, only of which only four exist. And <laughs> um, and yeah, and so it's 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 kind of like. It's like, it's like one of those things where it's like, you know how the story ends and it ends, it's a happy story. Yeah. So he's just setting up the, the, the dominoes for so it. So the, the rest of the pot is kind of mush because one, it was in the middle of our batch here. And two, um, it mostly is about the cast rehearsing and Martha really trying to get in the story on Matt and Harriet and the whole... It wasn't about the World Series, was it? Like, what is it? How is it to work together? Like, really trying to get in the background... Yeah. And both of them accidentally leaked some stuff. And um, isn't it, what was, okay, what did, story did the PA tell again that she wasn't supposed to say? I'm blanking on. Oh, the story about him, the story about him going to the Roxy to get a boot and get it signed to as as payback for the, the bat, bat that was that, that the the baseball bat that had the the baseball player's number on I completely forgot about that moment that was so funny and he's like well I didn't actually get it and she's like oh okay interesting um but that was that was sort okay, of so smushed let's together just, in there yeah so let's just let's just dive into the next episode which is the rap party yeah, yeah, yeah. um again takes place immediately following the show that they're producing in the in the previous episode Lauren Graham is the host in the first episode and then she's in this episode too um so yeah um 
this one focuses on the rap party. It's kind of like it's kind of like I don't think I don't I don't remember if this was actually aired as a two parter, but it's kind of like a two parter episode basically. Um, they're at the rap party for the for the show, um, which is being held in the studio this time instead of an extern, external venue because the show wasn't doing well. They're already cutting the budget, um, and it, it's a big deal that they're having the rap party there. Um, this is the famous episode that has. Um, where Danny's trying to set Matt up with with some like um, young women to take his mind off of Harriet, and he ends up with three girls who don't understand that he writes the show, and that's a big runner. Is a, is so? What do you do? I write the show. Oh, what's that? Yeah, but yeah, but how do you write? Yeah, well, what is that? Those 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 three girls were also on the George Lucas talk show marathon. Go look it up. It's very it's delightful. Um, and then uh, an old man wanders into the studio, yes. and and Cal, um. Cal is trying to get him kicked out and he keeps sputtering nonsense. Um, do you want to talk about that part? Yes. Um, this storyline, um, I actually liked it a lot. It almost made me cry um, because I am the type of person who loves history. Because I love tracking where things came from and the origin of things. I like just knowing the stuff that I'm participating in. Where, where, how did this all start? What's the, what's, what is the, the origin, you know, of all these things? And so, I love hearing things about uh, interviews with like people who are in the golden age of Hollywood or like the early TV, like in the '50s and '60s, '70s kind of stuff. Like I love uh, the strangely the Gilbert Godfrey podcast because that is the exact type of people that he was bringing onto his show. Um, and I just mm-hmm. loved hearing from them and their stories and their experience. Like, it actually just was really interesting and refreshing. So I understand putting in a plot line about reverence toward the elders that were before you. And I also found it interesting that, like, you know, how this guy came alive. And it reminds me of people who are older, who they are starting to fade, but, like, still have specific stories or memories and aren't. They're not useless yet. Like, you know, they're not people meant to be thrown out quite literally in this case of, you know, the party. But there are still things we can learn from them. And they realized, oh, this person, basically the end and short of it is that they realized this person worked on a show with Sid Caesar that was um, important. He like, they're like, oh, we don't know a lot of information on this. And he starts to identify a lot of things. And the director of the show, I can't remember the character's name, or not the, not the, the, not the director, but the Cal. technical director who's in the studio yeah. calling things, Cal. Cal. He just sits down and says, can we talk to you? I want to get some information. And I can't remember who else come in, but a couple other people come in to talk to him as well. And, yeah. And so it's it's revealed that it's revealed that he he wrote for a sketch show with Sid Caesar yeah. in that building back back before. And then and then the next day, Someone, the, the the guy who went to Washington went to Washington and named names about the about who were secretly communists in in Hollywood. Clifford O'Dess. And everyone got blacklisted. Who Clifford O'Dess yeah. is one of the most influential playwrights from here. He was the one that I believe started working with like the um, acting schools with like Marlon Brando, like the Stella Adler um, type people, where like the new modern naturalism movement came, where it was very underplayed and it wasn't heightened. It was more like you know, brutalistic and things like that and more natural. And he did a lot of plays about like working class people and unions and all those kind of things. So it was a huge betrayal for him to do. Like it was a huge deal at the time. So I understood exactly like 
the reference that was going in there. So it hit me because I'm like, holy shit, this guy's like a blacklisted person. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, and I guess a fictional character, but like there are people who like really got fucked. Like I remember Nick Godfrey, I can't remember the actress's name, but he had on someone who was blacklisted and she talked about what it did to her career. But she, after it was done, because she basically, theater was the only place that would let blacklisted people go because they wouldn't, in Hollywood, mm-hmm. they didn't take them, but they could still do stuff in theater because a lot of them were on their side and it had a different, you know, ecosystem um than you know big hollywood productions had and things like that um yeah so i i got that and liked it a lot and then we have to talk about Uh, it it also well it also ties into the the main plot with with matt and harriet and the magazine writer because he says i only got one sketch on the air because i was trying to impress a girl oh Um, yes which which is which is the whole thing that matt says is i was trying like he and harriet both broke out at the same time on studio 60 because he was writing to try to impress her yes so he he wrote his best when when there was that that drive that desire the episode ends with um matt and danny coming back to the studio and being like sitting down with this with the old the older writer and saying like can you just tell us everything it was like those days and again again very very aaron sorkin like reverence for the past and and like like i i mean i i I could see someone someone in their position being that interested in those sorts of things i it feels a little um idealistic to me but that is that is again a very very aaron sorkin thing it's like complete reverence for the past wanting to know everything that like like and 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 treating these people with respect yeah and um and that respect part is interesting because that drives the third plotline of this which is the one that is the most personal thing um in a show that i've seen for a while and uh oh god okay i'm not gonna actually cry about this tom jeter. yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna actually cry about this but uh i might tom jeter uh has his parents coming to the show that night uh or they came to the show that night and he was extraordinarily nervous about how they're gonna take it he he says basically to his castmates before the show, at the end of the night, my dad is going to turn to me and say, "Son, do you need any money?" And I I and like I could buy them a house. I could buy them ten houses if I want to, because because he's on he's on a TV, he's he's one of the big three. He's making money on it as a as a TV star, I guess. Yeah. So he struggles because he knows his parents don't understand the importance of Mm -hmm. his work for him not just how important he is like money-wise because that's part of it but also he doesn't care about the money like that's not the thing that he wants to impress him about it's his respect and reverence for the art like when he's taking on the tour he's talking about all the different production history the different things that were like filmed there and the set and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff and and the first the first the first talkie was screened in that building yes yes exactly things like that where it's this history of it and and his mom is very oh nicing and his dad just is very very cold you know about yeah. things um and at one point i don't remember what brings it up but he basically is like your brother is in afghanistan and you're just you, yeah. you're doing you know skits or whatever and he's like skits they're not skits they're sketches um and he also he also drops the, the f slur doesn't he the, or is that that's that might be in Nevada? That might be in Nevada. Yeah, I can't remember where that comes in. Um, and uh, it it relates to me personally because I have uh, uh there were moments where I had tense relationship with my parents, which is very much resolved now. So I don't want to you know make it sound like blah blah blah. Um, but my coming out was hard for them, and also 
my love of doing art, I wanted more from them than what they would be able to give me because they just don't have as much appreciation for like theater and like they do they come to my plays and they do like it and a lot of times when it's funny and it's comedy but anything that's tackling an issue it's just if it's controversial if there's too much swearing if it's too prickly you know they're very conservative sort of pushing out of content censor button comes on that they've they've just grown up trained to be you know offended by this the content and stuff um and it took me a while to kind of get used to that expectation for it um but i had moments like this where i would be trying to impress my parents with my knowledge of stuff because i have a, a dumb encyclopedic brain um and you know it'd be you know it'd be stuff like you know dad talking about finances and things like that so it was like even that part of it where it's like oh do you, you know do you need money kind of thing but knowing at the end when they get to the end of it that his character kind of tom tita resolves it that like he knows his dad's saying that because he loves him and like he cares about him and he has to deal with like i know you care about me but in a way that not that i don't care about but it's not the way that i get loved the most and so yeah. sort of accepting that you have to have self-sufficiency in your art and know that you know sometimes your family are gonna get, and like the mom's trying really hard like i god bless her character i can't remember who that actress is but i love everything that i see her pop up in um and uh yeah so i just that really related to me and that almost made me cry the, the part with the afghanistan the brother in there that part was just such a lovely like oh okay we well, yeah, we gotta like felt like i had to squeeze it in but that actually comes into play later so i realized oh okay actually he didn't just layer that in as like a as a swerve like it becomes a part I, of I, tom's I, character i said i would stop talking about it but that was also another like that that, that line was jumped upon for people who are hate watching oh, the I'm show sure. at this point yeah so that whole plot of like they've never heard of who's on first and so and so it ends with Tom giving them an Abbott and Costello record, which he said he sourced it the middle of the night, like yeah. 10 p.m. Uh, in in Hollywood. Um, yeah. But here's the thing: is I would not be shocked if my mom didn't know who's on first or only vaguely knew mm -hmm. of it. My dad liked comedy, so I could see him knowing. I don't know if he liked it or not, but yeah. It, but that's not that unrealistic for conservative like families. Like that's I, I know it's like people jump on it, but it's like. No, there are people who truly push out any media that's not labeled Christian or praise or whatever. And so, and were raised by parents who also did that. So they just don't have exposure media. Me as the homeschooled kid was raised by TV a lot. So I happen to have a lot more like popcorn knowledge, but it leaks out of my pores because I spent so much time, you know, doing that growing up. That it sort of warped my perception of how much other people in life cared about things like TV or theater or movies or things like that. That's just what I cared about a lot because that's what I had time and interest for. Um, I love stories. I'm, I love the stories like this story. Nevada Day Part 1 and Nevada Day Part 2. John Goodman coming in. Uh, from playing, I believe, the Speaker of the House in uh, uh, the oh, West the Wing, uh, who runs for president, I believe. Uh, not successfully, but I think he's in the primary. Um, the one that Alan Alda ends up winning. Oh, um, wait. Um, no. Um, um, Jimmy Smith wins, wins the election. Alan Alda won the primary. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, against okay. John Goodman's character. Um, this remains a No Smiths podcast. Yes, and I think Ed Bigley Jr. played a Green Party candidate in it, which makes me laugh because he's very environmentally like conscious in real life. Uh, Nevada Day Part 1 is <laughs> Harriet is 
is has a quote from an interview comes out which makes it seem like she is against gay marriage because she says the quote is the bible says that um being gay is a sin and then she followed it and said um but oh i can't what did i can it also says judge not less he be exactly yes and i'm sure people smarter than me can figure it yes. out or, or would know the i answer. should remember that because that quote was said over and over like harriet says it so many times because she's basically telling people like i'm not i am not and like i work with people who are gay i'm not anti-homophobic like i just literally am quoting something that's true and this is my feelings and why am i getting like there are other people who say worse things than that why am i the one getting done and it's like because you work on one of the most like you work on a show and and the uh uh the writer martha asks like too it's like you work on a show that makes fun of right you know, wing people and Christians, like as crazy Christians and science science. And I realized, oh, literally those were built into the show, not to be funny, but to just set up this conflict. Like that is what it was there for. Um, And she goes outside and there are some gay hoodlums, as it is said. Gay street toughs. Gay street toughs um, come out. And are basically like, hey, can you sign my CD? And she's like, great. And and she, they, they, he throws a she, uh, they throw it on the ground, and that girl smashes it, and and he is like, uh, you bitch, you're such anti-homophobic, like you hate gay people, like ah, oh, and and they're getting in her face. So, uh, uh, Tom, uh, uh, Tom, 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 Tom Jeter comes out, and he like is like hey leave her alone and like kind of pushes the guy and he falls over and he gets injured and they then sort of like walk away and then through a series of unique events where we start with tom we start with tom being arrested and being held by john goodman and then they're telling us the story so chronologically this happens after the setup of we're already in nevada and steven weber's character is there with a a subplot with some Chinese investors that Ed Asner wants him to uh, wine, wine and dine, and his cello play his his cello playing daughter who's translating. That's very important. Yes, she actually comes back later in the show. Yes, great. oh, I can't wait. Um, because I actually did. I liked her character a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and basically what happens the, the she's obsessed she yeah she's obsessed with tom jeter and with studio 60 yes. and so they're there because tom had been arrested and extradited to nevada yes. to Pahrump, nevada um because he got a because he he had previously gotten a speeding ticket um in 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 nevada going 90 miles an hour on the same day that there was a protest at the military base and so the the the, the cop and the the judge think oh you went you were going to the pro, you were going to the protest to, to protest you were speeding i'm going to throw the book at you you stupid hollywood f word yeah. yeah well they're yeah they're basically like they hate the you know um it's like you make fun of Christians, you make fun of my people, you make fun of people like me. Like I, I don't like your show because I think I think it doesn't even say like I think it's arrogant. I think it's like yeah, yeah he called yeah. like he calls out the type of criticism that that Sorkin may have been getting at this point and things. Um, but uh, it, it was just fascinating because that tied in with the course Harriet's storyline, um, and yeah, it is a, a series of unfortunate events that. Um, uh, oh my God! What is uh, Deal's character Simon? 
Simon is there, who is insisting that the joint in the pocket of the jacket that was found there on Tom was his, because he doesn't want Tom to get the book also thrown at him for possession, which then the judge is like, you just keep confessing to a crime in front of me, so I would give you the advice to shut up right now, because you're not helping him at all. Um, and Because they're trying to argue, like, well, like, you know, it's legal in California, and like you know, uh, you know, well, it's not legal here. Possession, Nevada. possession is illegal, but but use is not legal, and this joint's been exactly. smoked. Exactly, so so it's like it's a sm- it's the smoking gun, but it's the smoking joint. Um, some of the events blur because this was a two part of it. Um, mm-hmm. What else from Nevada Day Part One stuck out with you, or stick out with you um, from it? Um, this was this was the episode where Danny goes with them on the plane to Nevada. Uh, they they like they all pile into a plane uh, to a private jet. They go to Nevada, um, and so then they're trying to run the show without Danny, and he's kind of and like they're all kind of losing their minds. Right. There's there isn't a whole lot of meat there, but but it, it's fun. Yeah, it it arcs into it, um, and it, and it kind of then bleeds into part two where they're arguing to try and get um, Tom out of jail and things then start like getting heated up between matt and harriet and it kind of comes back to the like religious stuff and all those things again and she has to host the 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 desk of news 60 you know not we can update but news 60 Yes, because because Simon's in Simon's in Nevada. They don't know if he's going to make it back for the show in time, and so as a contingency plan, they set up um they set up what's what's his name Dylan Dylan the the um who is the uh I guess like the more Chris Farley ish type of of representation. Yeah, I recognize that actor from things, but I'm also like I don't know I can't remember anything that you've been in specifically. He he was also on there. He was the other actor who was also on the um. On the George Lucas talk show. Yeah. Um, uh, so, it, yeah, it, it was interesting that he got, like, a little arc, too, because he'd been very background before. And, like, uh, Jeannie, you know, with the brown hair, had her has her plot line that kind of is going through for it. So it was interesting to see him get one, because as far as I'm concerned or remember, he doesn't really have much else that happens with him on it, except yeah. for, well, no, a future one, there is a, a moment that happens with them they won't let him forget. But that's the other interesting thing that happens to him on the show later, which is yep. a few episodes later. Yes. So yeah, and so the, the, there's a, there's a little plot there. Um, the big thing the big thing is that like um, Harriet Harriet gets rejected for saying something that was viewed as homophobic, and then she gets rejected by the people because the thing she said was not homophobic <laughs> yes. enough. Yes, she and, can't win either way. It's it's real it's real like centrist both sidesism, which was like, but you know. Yeah, but it's coming from that character's point of view. Like, it's not necessarily meant to be a right or wrong. Like, you would, like, you're probably just going to land on whatever side you are, anyways. Um, But you're right in that. I think Sorkin is like me, where I do see both sides, but I end up, like, agreeing with one or the other. But, like, I can follow the logic that comes with all of the decisions that people make, no matter how fucked up they are, kind of stuff. Um, Unless, you know, the truth has no logic. Um, But, yeah, so Dylan is just, he's, like, nervous to play himself. It doesn't think he can do it. So then Harriet's kind of... He only only can do characters and voices, yeah. Um, And so that's part of it, is that, hey, he can do it. But then ends up not having to do it because why does he end up not or so why is it he, he's so, not okay, supposed to do so, it okay so okay well, hold on, hold on. oh because he ends up doing it because because okay so uh, yes in the in the in nevada it's it comes out while they're having the trial it comes out that 
it comes out that Tom wasn't driving to the, the Air Force Base to protest. He was driving to see his brother, yes. who is active in the Air Force. Well, and and, um, and 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 he did and um. He didn't want to say that, he didn't want to say that because he didn't want to just use his brother's service as a, as a get out of jail card for a speeding ticket. But it means that he's just sit, he sits there all day then. Yeah. Um. So it all gets so it all gets resolved, and then um, and then they make it back to they make it back to Studio Sixty in time for the show. So so um um Dylan doesn't have to do New Sixty, and everyone lives Rose. Yeah, it's great. I, I do want to put one thing about the plot line with uh, Tom's brother that I again found, I know would turn people off. It's because. Sorkin almost does everything at like an eleven. So everyone has the most has to have the most dire or just like you know circumstances or the best results. It's like the one or the other. And Tom's it's not that Tom's brother is in Afghanistan. Like John Goodman lists like he's part of this thing. They go and build churches. They build hospitals. They have the highest like and the more and more you serve, the more and more you're just more likely to die. Like you like he's basically like you went to go see your brother because like you know that he might get basically killed, you know, at any moment because he's in a risky spot. And that's the reason why he it's so it's not even just like, oh, your brother's in the military. Like, I'll give you a head on that. It's like, no, your brother might die, and that's why you were going there. So it's like the most dire circumstances of of, of yes. what it could be. So yeah, that part I could see just hurting people off and them groaning and being like Oh my God! Like, oh, his brother's like high risk. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Also, 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 something that came up. Um. We haven't really talked about it. Um. Another plot line is that Jordan McDear's ex-husband has been shopping this book oh, around where he says all this God, like scandalous right. stuff about their sex life, and it, it starts leaking into the tabloids. Yeah. And and all the all the execs are like, "Why aren't you doing something about it?" She's like, "I'm not giving it attention. I'm not giving it oxygen." Yep. But it just keeps building and building. And then the end of this episode is, um. The daughter, the cello player, um, she is reading the headlines about Jordan McDear. She tells her father. Her father loses it. He uh, he he tells off. Um, he tells off uh, Jack, Jack Rudolph, and then Jack, who who is. This is this is where Steven Weber does the like the the turn where it's like oh yeah no you do love him because of course you do he's like no I don't think so you don't get to call you don't get to say those things she is an honorable woman this sucks fuck you and then the daughter's like oh nope translation mistake translation mistake yeah she's like oh I'm so sorry and then but then it's like so I was yelling at you for something that we agree on uh, oh okay never mind um yeah, yeah. I I really loved it because he Weber went off and I love I love seeing Jack take arguably the right moral stand on issues and yeah. is like support because in this in this world the 60 studio 60 team is your team you're supposed to be rooting for everyone on it and yep. for the success of it so any obstacle in the way of it and mm -hmm. Jack is sometimes that obstacle but he's like ironically Jack on 30 rock where sometimes he is the protagonist and helping and sometimes he's the antagonist like he can do both so that's that's Nevada um oh, the yeah. option period so this is where Ricky and Ron get their story on Lark mm -hmm. <laughs> Matt realizes that Ricky and Ron are going to work on a TV show of Peripheral Vision Man because the rights uh, a pilot yeah, the pilot for it because the rights for it are coming up at the end of the night and they can renew it for a hundred bucks for just a hundred dollars they can retain the rights for Peripheral Vision Man and if they don't do it it is released because Ricky and Ron worked the material and Matt's like that's the Peripheral Vision Man is shit it's the worst thing I don't want that but then he's also like but I don't want them to have it so a lot of it is Matt 
confronting them, the argument, you know, back and forth. Ricky and Ron just Rick, more so. Um, I think it's Ricky is the one who's the aggressive one. Ricky, yeah, tells him to piss off, and and Ron yeah. is like, Ricky's my partner. We've always worked together. I'm gonna back him. He's like, I kind of agree, but not necessarily as harshly as he does. So, you know, but this is what I have to do. Uh, sort of thing, yeah. and he's he's a and bit they, he's a bit also... more like business is business that sort of approach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing personal, man. But we got to do yeah. it. And and um, they also when they quit, they also take all of the writers on the staff. Yes, except for Lucy, the the British woman, and Darius, the 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 black writer who was hired in the last episode. We didn't talk in the in the rap party episode. We didn't talk about it. It's fine. Yeah, it's whatever. I, I'll just say that was the Dar- Darius. Darius and Lucy become like my my favorite little like like couple of of like like they're sitting in the corner yeah. shit talking to each other all the time they're great i like darius a lot and in fact actually he reminded me of a comedian that i saw in wisconsin when we happened to travel and just see some comedians there um but i, I the way he's introduced is very clunky and possibly could be seen as problematic because it ha- oh, yeah, so no, we don't have is. to go into it but i liked the fact that darius was introduced the, I, the, I like his yeah. character and i will go from there <laughs> Buckle up, buddy. Buckle oh, up. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm on the Sorkin Street. You, this train's rolling, so we know that we might yeah, have some, yeah. uh, some rough rail. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, so that's that's the option period. It's kind of... Oh, oh. One thing I want to note is that this is the last we basically hear of Ricky and Ron. We don't we don't really hear about Peripheral Vision Man or anything yeah. after this. Um, fun, fun th- Easter egg in uh, I think it's season two or season three episode of 30 Rock, they have an episode of The Girly Show, and during the credits, two of the credited writers are Ricky and oh Ron. Oh, my God, that's because, so fucking and funny. T- and Tina Fey said, yeah, they kicked him off that show, so I figured we, we, we would hire that him. That is so <laughs> funny. That's so funny. Um, I, uh, I, I This also is where Harriet is, like, her big thing is she wants to do a lingerie photo spread, and Tom and Simon are being like protective brothers and they're like don't do it it's gonna hurt your professional image like you're just gonna look like you know you're gonna look like a, 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 a slut essentially like you're, you're a wholesome you're yeah, a wholesome yeah. christian girl no no it's it, it, it is very slut shaming yeah. yes which i found again a clumsy way but interesting tackling like women's a woman's own ugh, i'm trying to think about it it's it's how society how society frames and sexualizes women yes. and celebrities yes. and certain ones um certain ones get it more than others certain ones like if you are if you're i don't know if you're um olivia wilde you can you can do a bikini photo yes. shoot but if you're harriet hayes you can't do a bikini yes photo thank shoot. you you summed that up very well I, I did find that an interesting thing to tackle within the episode because again it's more nuance on on harriet's faith and stuff and, and faith was just in the fucking news like just as as a casual positive thing that people could have in it, not the you know crazy, uh, even though the crazies were there back then and, and infested everything. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so B twelve is uh, another yes. comedy of errors. This is where it kicks into gear. And Fuck this yes. is a very funny. This could also be like a thirty rock plot, but it also was like par- parallel to real life in that there was a virus, like a flu like strain of something called B twelve, and. No, 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 no. 
uh, there was a fl- there was a co- there was a flu going around, yeah. and B twelve is the vitamin. That, oh, th- and this is the real thing. You can get a B you can get a B twelve yes. shot, and and like rich people do this all the time because it's 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 like I think it's mostly like snake oil placebo stuff, but it's basically like the idea is like it helps your immune system, it helps you it helps your energy level, it. it helps boost you when when you're sick. Um, and so yeah, so so they're giving B twelve shots to everyone, and there's a there's a bit that they that that Sorkin really hammers home between Matt and Danny where. Matt keeps saying, you can't get the shot if you're pregnant. You can't get that shot if you're pregnant. Yeah. You can't get the shot if you're pregnant. Uh-huh. And I wonder where that's going to be leading. And uh, they also introduce a former writer of Studio 60 whose like, wife and daughter died in an accident. So he is now the most stoic person ever, but still is a good comic <laughs> writer. And that is a trope. Like There are some people who are, I've heard like yeah. even on SNL, like, they had writers that were like dead serious people in real life, had almost no mm-hmm. sense of humor on the surface, but would write the most mm-hmm. surrealist, absurdist, funniest shit on paper. Um, mm-hmm. But they would just do it alone in their office and, and present it and then fuck off because no one wanted to be around yeah. them and they didn't want to be around other people. But, um, but he's, yeah. so he's this a bit of a team played player. By, uh, yeah, this character is played by Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall, so actual sketch comedy like legend. Um, he was also brought on as a writer to the show. Yeah, around he has this a time. story credit on Nevada Day Part mm-hmm. One. Yep, yep. Um, I also love that. It, like, I, there's a line where he gets introduced where they're like, his, his wife and his wife and daughter died in a car crash. God, he's such an awfully serious person. And then Matt goes, "Serious about comedy?" Yeah, like exactly. Now, um, the who is pregnant? I, 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 Go ahead. I, Okay, um, Andy. Andy's gonna. We'll talk more about Andy in the, the back half of the show. Andy shows up yeah. a lot, but my, one of my favorite things is if you go watch the George Lucas talk show marathon, they have Mark McKinney on, and he's talking about it like because he's he's talking about it. He's talking about like um like oh the writing the show is great, working on the show was so great, and, and at one point he says something along the lines of like yeah, and we got to write some really funny sketches, and he and then and then one of them says like you know on Kids in the Hall, and he's like no on on, on Studio sixty, like he thinks the sketches that they wrote to be on the show are funny, and you can see the like like. Hope and 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 joy and like Patrick's eyes die as he says that. That is so fucking funny. I I I can't wait to rewatch that now that I have seen it. So I will go along and when they reference, which you know that show is as much tangents as we can get into, uh, and yeah. have them see along there and know the moments they're talking about and bits, because um, that's how I first absorbed the knowledge of Studio Studio Sixty existing. But honestly, by the time I've gotten back to this, a lot of that was erased from my head. I, I just remember it mostly yeah. being, oh. I, ironically trying to either say they like these parts, which clearly they didn't, or razzing, you know, it just was a lot of razzing on it. So I was like, okay, I didn't retain mm-hmm. it because they didn't like it. Yeah. The interviews with, the interviews with, um, with Nate Torrance and, uh, um, um, Steven Weber, like that stuff is, that stuff was really yeah. fun at the yeah, end. Steven Weber was um, great. The, the stuff with, the stuff with the three girls is really fun, but, but yeah, no, I just, I just remember that. Cause like, that was definitely the thing that was like, you, I saw the light in his eyes die as soon as, and as soon as, as um, he said, Mark McKinney said, "Yeah, no, it, it, it was really funny." Because yeah, again, comedy people hate this show. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I had to say that somewhere. Um, but yeah, so so the runner about you can't get the shot if you're pregnant that gets like it's way it's way like it's like hammered way too hard home. Comes back at the end of the episode where Jordan is sick and she's like, and she's like, oh, but like, um, she's, she, someone's gonna, uh, Danny's gonna go get the, the nurse to give her a B12 shot. And she has to say, 
no, you can't give, don't give, don't let him give me the shot. And then they both look at each other and they say, because you're pregnant. Yes, exactly. And get it, girls. She had it with a, who did she have get pregnant from again? Was it an ex-boyfriend? Uh, it was, it was, an, it was the boyfriend who leaked the fact that Danny failed his drug test to sleep with yes. her. Which is which is the instigating which is the instigating event of the yes, pilot. That's right. It was that. So it, see, was like, like, it was that the, ex boyfriend, yes. the one that worked with everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so this is the this is this is where like this episode and then the next episode, episode eleven, are really where like all of the threads from the pilot really wrap up into a yeah. nice bow. I am shipping Jordan and Danny. So I'm curious yep. what happens. If that will be a will they won't they, or if it will be a actual yeah. Um, and how that interacts. Well, well, we should we should talk about what happens in the next episode in the Christmas. Well, episode. we should in a second, but I just want to say the other subplot for the B twelve, which is which is starts the episode because this is this episode where we start toward the end of it, where there's a note that says five people dead, Colorado, whatever, and the setup yeah. is there is a hostage situation happening in real life, and it's happening. You know, it's still a hostage situation early on. And they're writing a sketch that has a hostage situation in it. So they're... Lucy and Darius are writing yeah. a sketch about So they're basically, like, that happened coincidentally. Like, not literally had... We're writing it before this started happening. So they're in anticipation of it. And during the show, the update is that he killed all of them and himself. So they're like, we can't do the hostage sketch. So then they're struggling to say, like, we can... In, in, in 20 minutes, we can, like, come up with a sketch. 10... You get 10 minutes by yourselves, bring it in, five minutes, we'll get it ready, and then it'll go, five minutes for cue cards, you know, we'll go. And then they basically get together and determine that they're going to do something called spit-take theater, which is they all say these lines, and then they all spit-take. And Harriet is like, I don't get water on me, and they're like, okay, great, everyone, spit it at Harriet. It all goes to Harriet. Spit every single thing at Harriet. And because with the flu going around, we see everyone spitting at each other, so the end image of them all getting, like, the B12 shots and stuff uh, relates to, to that being on there. Yeah. Yeah she, yeah, she says, like, I'm the only one who hasn't been sick all week. Um, also, the lights keep going out, and she, and she every conveniently, every time she's every time she's talking about God, the lights either go out or go back on. Um, that, that's a good runner through that perfect. episode. I like that. Just perfect. They're like, oh, my God, maybe you are right. Like, maybe we are being uh, uh, yeah. punished by uh, a deity. Yeah. All right, the Christmas show, our end point. This was where... Where we pulled into a, a brief station and and gave ourselves a rest um, from the Sorkin streak. I'm gonna make that a thing. I'm gonna keep saying it because I it just makes me happy. The Sorkin, the Sorkin streak. streak, holiday show on the horizon. It's Christmas. Sorkin loves a Christmas. Okay. Show. Sorkin loves Christmas. He I I I don't know if he's Jewish or not. He he. There's a lot of Judaism in his shows. I think he might be Jewish, but. Fucking loves Christmas. There's a Christmas sports night episode. Christmas was a big deal on the West Wing. Loves yes. Christmas. So there are a lot of ladies in here. The Danny Jordan part advances because um, Jordan goes to o, like goes to OBGYN. OBGYN to get a, to get yeah. an ultrasound. And, yeah. And Danny sort of realizes he cares more than he thinks that he does. Da- Danny's like, I gotta be there. You you need you need a yeah. man there. Um, and so he goes, and then th- then then yeah, they, they start to realize this is this is when Matt calls him out and is like, "Hey, you've been spending a lot of time with yeah. Jordan. Like, since when do you care?" Yeah, exactly. Like he's, he's like, you've never been like a network, you know, uh, yeah, butt kisser or smoochers. Yeah. So like, and he and he's and he says she talks like one of us, yeah. like 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 a creative. Yes. Um, and, and and then and then and then this is when uh, Matt starts taunting Danny to he starts screaming, "Say it out loud!" At at, at yeah. Danny. Yeah, it just oh my god, it was great. Um, 
Harriet is offered a movie that they're going to be able to shoot on hiatus, which is something she's yes. want, like people say she's a good actress, like in a movie actress. So like she has an established film career, but this is a big opportunity to do something serious. Correct. A dramatic yes. role. Yeah. It's not, it's not a yes. comedy, which is the big thing. Um, um, it's playing um, Anita Baker. Who like like was 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 amused to like the Rolling Stones? Oh or something? yes, that's know. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yes, exactly. I, I yes, I know who that person um, is. Um, but... Very important. Very important. The the writer director who's offering her the role is also an ex boyfriend, and yeah. and is and admits that he's doing this to try to get back yep. with her. Um, this is this. You're not gonna under. You probably won't understand this, Missy. But but if anyone is listening to this from Planet Scum, the very important this thing I learned: the actor who plays Luke. Also plays the dad in the self suck scene in the Time Traveler's Wife. I am so sorry. I do not know what that is. I am the self suck scene. If, if anyone, I don't know. If, if anyone, uh, uh, there, there's a, there's a scene in the in the Time Traveler's Wife, which is the HBO yeah. show. There's a scene where the 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 kid's dad walks in on him getting a blowjob, and then the cover lifts off, and it's revealed that it's him giving himself a blowjob because he can time travel, um, and we discovered this during um, during a post show for the box show, like a year ago now, at least, um, like more than a year ago now, and I just fucking lost it. And so, so um, 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 coupon code self suck is back on the menu, boys. That's what I'm gonna oh, say. Oh <laughs> my fucking god, Alice deals. I how had I not heard about? I hear about all the weird sex scenes. Like I, just, I think this one must have been so yeah. untouchable. People are like, let's just pretend that yeah. didn't happen. Um, yeah. Shout out! Shout out to Mike! Shout out to Steph Lau or Steph Germs! Shout out! Shout out to everyone on Planet Scum! Self Sug is back on the menu. This <laughs> is the TV show. This is not the movie, right? Yes, this is the TV. Yeah, show. I'll, I'll find the clip and I'll link it to you. I'll find the clip and I'll link I've it to you. Heard, no, I don't. I can't get horny on Maine. That's inappropriate. Um, so in the Christmas. What? Well, speaking of horny on Maine with the Christmas show. The I know we're jumping around and there's other things that happen here. I'll, here we'll get the we'll get this up out of the way, which is they need a an idea for the Christmas show and they end up with everyone being sick. They have people who have been homeless since Katrina come in as musicians and they basically get them like a mix of people together and they do a a a, a extended uh, number. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. together and it's moving and there's snow and light and it's very I mean it is like schmaltzy Christmassy good which you know this was when Katrina was happening like it's 2006 so like yeah this very was, recurrent this was the year that Katrina this was the year this was the year that um it was like the year after Katrina happened I looked this up just to make sure oh it but was okay it was still super relevant it was it was still super relevant I remember and like and like again th this is where like. Sorkin loves the intersection of like real life things with stuff like this. Like uh, the West Wing did a bunch of this stuff as well. Yeah. Um. And and I think like again, people thought it was people thought it was hokey or they thought it was they thought it was cheap. But I I really I really liked it. It's really it's really touching. Um. And 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 and, and I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just presented in a really nice way within the story. Um. They um. Yeah. Uh. There's a subplot where t t Tom and Simon jump in to help write with the writers and it ends up that they are more of a hindrance than, than they are like yeah. helping. They, they convince everyone that, that Christmas is not real and that, you know, that there's no, there's no reason to celebrate and stuff. Um, 
you also get you also get um, Matt walking into the writers' room with this Charlie Brown tree. Yeah. Um, I love that scene. Um, I love it when when Lucy says like, you know, with your tree here, it looks like Dickensian London. Oh my god, it was so great. And then we get the best walk and talk, or should I say, walk and smooch, where Matt, when Harry is behind the scenes getting ready to go to the desk of News Sixty, the part that she has anchored for a while now comes up to her, gives her a kiss, she kisses back, he walks away from behind the set to be in a chair on on uh, in the studio to watch. She comes around, she gets yeah. ready, uh, uh, Simon says his line, and then Harriet opens with, and I'm Matt, I'm Harriet Hayes. And I lost my goddamn mind. It was so it was so hot. Right? It was, it was and yet so on the nose, yeah. but also I didn't care because uh-huh. I was like, I'm yeah. too invested in these two people that I should be laughing at getting together because it yeah. was hot. Yeah. And so, so he did this because he knows that the, the, that she got the role in the movie and she knows, he knows that the director's trying yes. to get, Luke is trying to get so back with her. And so this is his yes, revenge. Exactly. This is the revenge is to do that and to make her have to think yes. about him. Uh-huh. When she's she's on it, yeah, it, it just, yeah. Oh my god, there's a there's another small plot where um uh there is a there is a broadcast that is live from um um Iraq or Afghanistan, one of the two. I think oh it was Afghanistan. yeah, and uh, a marine on air said a swear word, and so the FCC is trying to find them because the marine said the swear word on on public television, and Jack is freaking out because he's like. I don't yeah. want to pay the, the fine, but I don't want to do it. So he's coming at us again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so and so he's like, so he goes, he goes to, um, he goes to, he goes to an Azner's character and says, like, I think I have to quit. And and Azner's character gives this like, you know, rousing speech of like, I'm gonna fight the FCC. I don't recognize the FCC. They're gonna have to order a federal judge to shut me down. Um, they'll pull my transmitter license with the from my cold dead hands. Um. And, and and so it's a nice it's a nice moment where it's like oh Jack has morals too, he you know it's, it's turning around. Um, also great shots of um, Ed Asner's family is there, yes. uh, the, the character's family is there. Um, Jordan McDear is sitting there somehow going from just telling people she's pregnant to very visibly pregnant, eating a sandwich, looking disheveled as all yeah. hell. It's so cute. Yeah. I I just love that the, the pan to her with like her unbutton or like her top button open and, and she's she's scarfing the sandwich. God, she I crushed on her so hard in this. I crushed on Sarah yeah. Paulson, not Matthew Perry. I uh-huh. crushed on um uh, oh my god, Tom, Tom, Tom. I crushed on Tom, but I, that just might be narcissism like leaking through there since I relate okay. to him. That's yeah. that's a, that is yeah. that is a self suck. If if we're gonna say anything, okay. like uh, you know, yeah, hashtag hashtag self. Um, but yeah, and so this is, and so then then this is the um, so Danny's watching the 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 musicians from New Orleans play their song, and he gets up and he walks up to the sec- he walks up to the balcony where where um um wins or um and as his family is where Jordan is, he pulls her out of the room and he says, um, you know, I I've I've been um he says something along the lines of like you know like um. I'm an, I'm an active cocaine addict and I've been arrested twice, but um, I think I'm falling in love with you. So you better, you better, you better get a move on because I'm coming. And then, and That's then she doesn't right. say anything. And he goes like, you better, you better finish that sandwich. Yeah. Um, oh my God. 
And then so that's and and then and then he goes back to he goes back to Matt and he's like, I went to the place of say it, say it, say it. I said it. I just I this is perfectly prepped for the second half. This you are correct. This was the best stopping point and was the midway stopping point because there was a, a hiatus of right. a few weeks because of basically holiday programming yeah. and stuff. Um mm-hmm. but I just I loved the Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip holiday special. It, it is one of the best episodes uh, in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because yeah, it resolves and it, and, so it much ends with the callback. Yeah, and it ends, it ends with the callback from the first episode. They're, in the first episode, they're saying, like, you know, we live here now. We're, we're stuck in this building. We live here now. And um, and then and then he says, to, uh, Matt says, Danny, you were right. We do live here yeah. now. Alice. That was like that was really when I was like I I genuinely love this show. I don't I fuck the haters. I, I this there is something here. And I'm glad I'm glad you I'm really glad you saw it because I was thinking like well, okay, maybe 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 she'll hate it and then maybe I can win her back by the end of episode 11 cuz that cuz that that tie back is so fucking good, but yeah. We live here now. We live in we live not a hate now. watch and I live for Studio 60 on a Sunset Strip. I my prediction is I am not going to care about the drop-off in quality. I may find some of the choices, I'm assuming, strange. But the fact that I know it was canceled, I can take... I I am able to be media critical with the knowledge of what has happened. That's, again, the things I like. Knowing the context of the time, so I can take it as that point. And again, seeing what parts of Sorkin just pour out onto the page. You know, there's going to be more self-reflection. And, and see what the knowledge of it being canceled to him yeah so in the in the second half of studio 60 i can promise you i can promise you rooftops i can promise you oh my god i love rooftops i can promise you i can promise you kidnapping i can promise you weasels i am such a city boy that i think rooftops are the fucking sexiest thing i love being on a tall building on a rooftop even though i have vertigo and i'm scared of heights I don't care. I love being on them because it's it's like truly feeling like you're on top of the world. No, it's they're they're not overrated. They're just genuinely not. It's genuinely yeah. cool. It's just genuinely it, cool. It truly is. Um, yeah, and so and so we're gonna watch the rest of the, the back half of Studio sixty. I'm so happy you like it. I mean, like, I'm like, happy I, 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 like, I like I said, it. what we were te- when we were texting, I was like, it didn't occur to me until talking to you that oh yeah, this is all just like theater yes. nerd shit. Yes, and um, I identified because it like right I, I don't have a lot of theater kids yeah. in my life anymore, so. Um, it didn't, it didn't really do it for me, but, um, but yeah, and, and it's, it's a good show. If you listen, if you made it this far in the podcast somehow and you, and you, and you, and you haven't watched Studio 60, try to go into it with a not a hate watch mindset. There's a lot there to like. And, you know, and we've given you a summation of it. What episodes, because you told me you could give me a short list of like, here's the one to hit. Yes. What is that short list? Because we never talked about it, so that if people just want to get a taste of it, the episodes they need to watch. Obviously, the pilot and, and the Christmas episode are, are truly must-watches. I would say that you should watch, of the first 11, you watch the pilot, you watch the focus group, you watch um, the long lead story in the rap party, um, and then B12 and the Christmas show. Yeah, I agree. So that's that's skipping skipping cold open, skipping West Coast delay, um, skipping Nevada. Nevada's is pretty cr- critical, but it, it's got a lot of flab. And and skipping the option period because who fucking cares about Ricky and Ron? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, that, that's a very good one. I mean, I like the Ricky and Ron subplot, but you're right; it's it's not necessary yeah. to get the gist of 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 what this is. And you know what? 
audience. You may watch it and it may be a hate watch. I, I, I know a lot of people in the Planet Scum Discord do probably hate this. So I, I hope you find joy in how much we're enjoying this. It's, like I just, 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 just listen to me. It's not going to be funny. Yes. It's it. It was trying to, and it failed. I agree. It has failed as comedy, as like sketch comedy. It has failed. I think there are parts of the show that are genuinely very funny, but they are like character moments between the yes. characters. Um, in the same way that I think Aaron Sorkin can be funny in his other work, mm-hmm. and I think that if you are able to look past how bad the comedy is, and the and the severity of of the material, like like they're treating it like it's life or death. It is it is a show that I think is as good as The West Wing. I really do. I'm curious now because we're going to ride the Sorkin streak as long as we can. We don't have an agenda set up for how long this is going to go. So I actually don't know what we're going to watch after part two. I mean, this is nice because this is one of the few episodes where we know what we're watching next week. We're watching more Studio 60. But after that, we haven't decided yet. We, we had a rough plan, but we're going to let Audibles come in. I figure I'm going to have to watch some episodes of West Wing coming up just oh, as a necessity. Yeah. I don't know if I'll watch yeah. the whole thing, but let's fucking you know, go. That will be something that is certainly on the table. We have other stuff we talked about being on the table, but I, I want to surprise you which where we're going and don't lead to it. But I will say for sure we will do it. Now, I'll also say, you know, giving us the moment we can pull into the station and take a break and visit something else while we're in there, but. This is my. This is the rare thing where this show is is almost not a hate watch, but not a hate watch from me breaking through the sea of criticism from Sorkin that I received from other people that caused me to stay mm-hmm. away from him so long. So even though I am yeah. loving this, I'm also examining mm-hmm. why Erso, why is Aaron Sorkin a thing that still is popular, and, and who does he appeal to? As a theater person, knowing that's his origin. Like I said, A Few Good Men in the movie, I could totally see it on stage. I was seeing every moment and how it mm-hmm. would look on stage based on the movie. This is that sort of feel where I'm, I know who he's writing for. And he was hoping people would meet him where he's at. But 30 Rock is more accessible. And it, and it, it was pure comedy and, and was probably more of what people mm-hmm. were expecting it. So yeah, it's... And as you're right, I remember the hype for it. I remember being so hyped for it. And I think I maybe watched the first episode, but I was still mm-hmm. living with my family at the time. So I'm sure no one else in my house wanted to watch it. So I probably just had difficulty, like, you know, just didn't keep up with it and everything. But yeah, I remember all the commercials yeah. and, and the hype and knowing Aaron Sorkin from the West Wing. And at that time, being interested in comedy, like 2006 is around the time I started really getting into mm-hmm. SNL and Conan O'Brien and and watching yep. written sketch comedy and and trying to figure it out, you know, the best way that is for me to summarize it and, and see what the whole deal of it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I should have brought this up sooner early in the podcast. One of the things that – one of the Sorkinisms that I, that, I, that I I both love and hate is this idea of – and it must come from theater. I, I only just now realize it must come from theater. But it, hap- it happens all the time in sports site. It happens a few times in this show, and then it happens a bunch – it was in the trailer for being the Ricardos, which was like, oh, he's become a parody of himself at this point, which is characters walking around before the show saying, good show, good show. Like – have a good show, but just saying good show, like, 
every episode of Sports Night has it, and it, it's used a bunch here too. Yeah, it, it def- that has to be a theaterism. Uh, you know, I'm surprised he didn't say break a leg, but maybe that's what they don't what they say. You know, on TV. Well, he he also says he also says um eat him up. That's another oh, you know, one. eat him up. <laughs> I mean, I. I have my own version of that, which is love you, love your show. That's something that my theater friends, I say to each other. But I also say it with sincerity. Like, I I say that to people who I love working with and just love as people because it is just a thing. So that's that's a missism that Mm -hmm. I I take on. But it's also something that I'm I'm Mm -hmm. happy to say to people because it's always true. I like... I like making things. I like just doing stuff like this. And I'm happy to watch a show about people making things and being creative and and really the the conundrums you come into when you're trying to write content for audiences and you don't know what your audience wants because it's hit or miss. It's, it's a lot of times luck. Just like these sketches hit or miss. Woo! I, I thought the Nancy Grace sketch was kind of funny. That was funny. That one was legit funny. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, as we always say to end the show, good show. Good show. Love you. Love your show. Self-suck will never die. Your remote is a crack pipe. <laughs> All right. And if you stayed this long, which you should, because this is, you know, at the end of the podcast and the recording, this is just a moment for you who made it. I will now live reaction to the self-suck scene. Hashtag self-suck from the Time Traveler's Wife. So here it goes. Self-suck is back on the menu, boys. Okay. Henry is 16. Yep. Oh. My. God. That's Luke. That's Luke as the dad. Henry is 16 and 16. So this is very interesting. I'll I'll just drop this nugget on a on a long struggling play I've been working on for for years now. The opening scene is a character a conservative character his mom walking in on him tricking off and the act ends with his mom walking in on him getting sucked off. So I just found this interesting. However, it's not it's not twin cyst, it's self cyst. Is it masturbation? It's, it's self suck. It's a self suck. It's self suck. Yeah. Hashtag self suck. Yeah. Self suck forever. <laughs>